G'day everyone and thanks for tuning in to episode 66 of your Michael Jackson and Jackson's podcast. Much to talk about today with our main discussion being Thriller 3D and the new compilation album release Scream. Also in the news, new history tour leaks, Janet State of the World tour news and a Michael Jackson exhibition coming to the National Portrait Gallery in London next year in celebration of Michael's 60th birthday. Thanks for tuning in. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. I love you! <laughs> I love my fans. Just simply Michael Jackson. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Hello out there to the Intertrons, this is Q of the MJ Cast, and welcome back with episode 66 of the MJ Cast, or to our new listeners, welcome, and thanks for joining us. I'd of course like to introduce my awesome co-host, producer and editor, Jamin. Hey Q, how are you? I've got a cold. Me too. <laughs> got what the flu. What the hell? Oh, and you're on school holidays. Yeah, yeah. It, it actually hit me in the first day of school holidays and has stuck around nearly, yeah, for nearly two weeks. It's not fun. And I've actually got this week off uh, for, it was meant to be a uh, Hong Kong Disneyland holiday, but that got sort of uh, cancelled because the hub's got a new job. So we've rescheduled that for another time. So I had this week off for work and of course I got sick and I was like, for God's sake. What Yuck. stupid, stupid, stupid timing. Speaking of Disneyland, we've sent the school I work at, we've sent a bunch of kids over to um, Japan for like a couple of week tour. And nice. uh, they yesterday just went to Tokyo Disneyland and had an absolute blast. So <laughs> Good to hear. Good to hear. You didn't even ask me for advice. I know. Sorry. I sort of slipped my mind. I think one person actually said that they, they thought it was way better than the Disneyland they'd been to in America. They thought it was just so In many ways beyond. it is. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. In many ways the um, Tokyo Park is better. Well, there's two parks, Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea. And if you are going, you should head over to your podcast app and start listening to the TDR Now podcast. It is the uh, English-speaking podcast which will give you all the information you ever need to know on the Tokyo Parks, the Hong Kong Park and the Shanghai Park Um, and they have an incredible website so Google TDR Explorer for the amazing website for all your Tokyo Disney and Asian Disney Park news but yes no Tokyo are incredible quality. Yeah that's cool. Lucky lucky kids that was actually the first Disneyland I ever went to. Really? Yep. October 2006, so it was in Halloween time. Hmm. It was very, very cool. So, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, thanks, everyone, for listening. It's great to be having another news and discussion episode. If you're new to listening to the MJ cast or just need a reminder, we're a news and discussion show on Michael Jackson and members of the Jackson 
family, the first family of music royalty, really. And we're an opinion show, so you're going to be hearing news. And then in our discussions, you'll be hearing our personal opinions, which might differ from yours. But that's cool because both yours and ours are just as valid. So that's what this is all about. We're just two fans. We're the same as you listening. And we talk about this stuff and, yeah, share our opinions and our thoughts. Got a lot to discuss today, haven't we, Jamin? No, it's out of control. Every <laughs> I, I seriously thought when we started the show a couple of years ago, I was like, yeah, yeah, in a couple of years' time, there'll be less news and I don't know what we're going to talk about. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's so not the case. <laughs> Never, ever is it the case. Something else I think we should discuss at the start of the show is, is a tragedy that happened recently in Central America. Uh, with the tragedies in Puerto Rico and also Mexico. On the 19th of September, of course, there was the Central Mexico earthquake, uh, which has been absolutely devastating for the people of Mexico City and Mexico. And, uh, of course, we have uh, one of our co-hosts at the MJ Cast in Espanol actually living there, Ala Huerta. And uh, I just wanted to, to really dedicate this episode to the victims of that particular tragedy and also the the tragedy in Puerto Rico with the hurricane, which I think you can speak a little bit more about, Q, in a minute. You know a bit more about that one. But there's been, uh, so far, I think as of this morning, unfortunately, 324 people have died um, in Mexico because of that earthquake and the, the aftershocks. And the recovery effort is absolutely massive. It's going on right now. Uh, and, and I just... I think we should all sort of, you know, listen to what Michael's message was about, you know, healing the world and, and giving back. And this is a really good opportunity for us, I think, to, to give back. Um, there's a great website called youcaring.com. Thank you, Jason Garcia, our other Mexican-American co-host who was able to uh, tell us about that website. It's a really good one. The link is too long to say on air, so I'll put it in the show notes right up at the very top. If you want to go there, just give a few dollars. You can look at the amounts people are giving. It's it's really amazing. There's people giving hundreds of dollars. There's people giving $5, $3, whatever. Whatever you can spare, give a little bit of money. Just go without that cup of coffee for today. And instead of buying you know something little like that, just give that money to, to you caring because they give practical assistance to those situations, helping people with the recovery effort. So, yeah. And, of course, there was countless mega storms that um, have swept up recently and Puerto Rico was absolutely devastated and the, the island desperately needs help. Hurricane Maria left just devastating damage, leaving thousands of people affected and the agriculture industry has pretty much been completely wiped out, like nothing left. They won't be pretty much growing any food in Puerto Rico anymore. So I saw another, actually, the the You Caring website, I think, set up by Ricky Martin, and he's decided to create a page there to collect funds to provide basic needs and help rebuild what was lost. So if you head over to the youcaring.com slash people of Puerto Rico page, which will also be linked in the show notes. And if you could also just anything like seriously, a cup of coffee, you know, the second cup that you're having for the day, just donate for hurricane relief for the people of Puerto Rico. And I know that there's just countless other islands through that area that have just been beyond devastated from these horrific storms and yeah, just entire, pretty much entire 
countries were just blown away. So please help yeah. if you can. Yeah, first our first song break of the uh, episode today, which will be coming up a little later, um, we're going to play Michael Jackson's Spanish version of What More Can I Give, which is actually called, I don't know how to pronounce this, I'm going to make a fool of myself. I think it's pronounced Todo Parati, and it's got a bunch of great artists on there, including Ricky Martin, interestingly, Q. So stay tuned for that one and enjoy that that song in honor of um, the victims of uh, these two tragedies that have taken place in South America. Absolutely. I, I, hope, I hope that song inspires you to, to please give and please help because there are people that really, really need it. And um, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump straight into the first news article, Jamin, because like, I, even though I think they're already sold out, maybe the $240 reimagined Michael Jackson thriller aviator sunglasses that just were released, like, don't buy those <laughs> yeah. and, and donate the money to people that actually need it instead of buying these nice looking sunglasses instead. What, what, what are these glasses? What company have created them? Uh, it, was it, it was in the collaboration with the estate, I believe. Yeah, it was. And was it Illis, Illistiva? I don't know uh, how to it, say it. It's like a fashion brand. Yeah. Why do you guys make all these silly brands that no one can pronounce? Yeah. Let me have a look. But I guess 35 years later, Michael Jackson's Thriller Aviators are reimagined. But I'm pretty sure these were all – it's a luxury eyewear brand – yeah, Illy Steva, and it's a favorite brand of Rihanna and Beyonce. Apparently, <laughs> oh my god, it's such a cringy article. We'll get to that it in is. a sec. <laughs> it's a, a frameless gold mirrored shades. They were crafted from a single sheet lens and feature a tiny engraving of Michael's signature in the corner. Now, I do have to say they are very nice looking sunglasses. They would not suit me at all. But they look very nice, but they're very expensive, and I think your money is probably better spent on helping people that need it. I agree, but thinking about the glasses aside from the price, and actually, you know what, $240 for a pair of luxury branded glasses like this, I don't actually think that's too much. Like, I wouldn't spend $240 on a pair of sunnies, but like, I, I think they could have asked a lot more, for, especially because they were making only a couple of hundred um, that's true. But anyway, like weren't we saying we've been talking about the estate and branding and what they should be doing in terms of building Michael's brand with fashion. And isn't this the sort of thing we've been saying in the past they should look at doing? Uh, yes, it is. But I would, I think I specifically said in that because this news story is from the end of August, is it? Uh, so. It's a while back now, yeah. Yeah, it's a couple of weeks ago. I, I sp- think I specifically said back then affordable yeah, for, for the mass audience and I wasn't classing this in that. Like no. a kid can't afford to buy these. I like the signature in the corner. Oh, yeah. No, they're really nice looking sunnies. Yeah. I don't think my um, private health cover would cover these, though, <laughs> which they yeah. covered the last set, my last lot of sunnies that I keep buying because I have prescription lenses in my sunglasses. 
But oh. I, imagine calling Illa Steva or whatever their name is and saying, hey, do you guys do prescription lenses? Can I uh, claim this on my uh, private health, please? Yeah, <laughs> private health cover, please. I've got the, um, this is how much my allowance is. Do you cover that? I don't think that would happen. <laughs> no, not at all. The actual Billboard article announcing this was just cringy. It was totally a pro-estate article that obviously the estate had um, commissioned, I think, because it, it goes into these wild tangents about, like, I don't know why the article announcing sunglasses needed to mention Branker's amazing recovery from debt with the Michael Jackson estate, Thriller 3D. <laughs> the, selling, the selling of the catalogue. Yeah, it was really awkward. <laughs> to I've just gone to look at the picture of the sunglasses. Yeah. So that's news. There's yeah. that. That is news. <laughs> we, we've got better news coming. Try, stick around, please. <laughs> yes, we do. So um, 3T. Next up, 3T. Yeah, the brothers and sons of Tito Jackson have performed at the We Love 90s Festival in the Netherlands. I think it's kind of like a yearly thing for those guys at this point to go over there and perform um, at some of those different festivals. They uh, performed on the 26th of August at, um, uh-oh, I don't know how to say this. Your husband's going to kill me if I say this wrong. He doesn't listen to the show. Nijmegen Goffert Park. I'm going to guess and say Nijmegen Goffert Park, but I'm probably just as wrong. Yeah, who knows? Hopefully we have a um, uh, listener from the Netherlands Tweet us at the MJ cast. Tell us how to pronounce that, please, because I have no idea. Well, don't tweet because then we'll still be reading the same letters. So no, but they can write it. it like, um, you know, in a, in a phonetic way. Or record it and send yes. it to us. Thank you. Anyway, so they performed and it, there's a good video. If you follow the video in the, in the show notes, there's a link there. You'll be able to actually watch them it's snippets of each song so it's not the whole song it's just lots of snippets together and uh it's just fan recording uh it's a pretty good video actually but um i don't know to me like i love 3t they are amazing and they know i love them and love talking about their work but it wasn't for me it wasn't their greatest performance ever Uh, maybe it was because it was in broad daylight it was at a festival in the daytime you couldn't see any lighting daylight performances weird me out because to me, I'm not used to those. I've, I've never been to many. Only a few have I been to. Yeah. Um, they just weird me out. And the same as when we see the European Michael concerts where they start and the sun is still up. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. It's so weird when you see the whole scream opening and they don't care about us, but the sun is still up. Yeah, it's I don't know. I think performing in the daytime is a really tough gig, especially for acts that rely a lot on lighting. Um, I'm not saying that 3T rely a lot on lighting. They actually have really good vocals. And one of the standout things about these performances from uh, the We Love 90s Festival are the vocals, especially Tarrell's vocal. His um, singing in Why, the song Why, are just really, 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 really good. So... Props to Tarrell's vocals, but yeah, I don't know. The stage presence, the, mm, I don't know. Not their best Not show, one of your think. faves. Nah. All good, though. Good on you, 3T. It's good that they're still recording. and Keep performing, keep, keep recording, yeah. and come to Australia. <laughs> so there's also been some sort of, I guess, fan-made Bad 30 album things happen. 
Yeah. Over at our sister show, the MJ Cast in Espanol, they released their first roundtable episode, which was on Bad 30. Congratulations, guys. And friend of the show, Chris Lacey, he wrote an amazing albinism article. Did you want to talk about that, Jamin? Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was great. I read it a couple of times. I read it when it first came out and then this morning again to refresh my memory. I thought that Chris did a really good job of writing it because he balanced collaborator quotes and stories around the recording and also a little bit of cultural analysis in there. I think articles sometimes run the risk of skewing in either of those directions too far and Chris tied it all together into a, a really nice review. Like if anybody asked, if a, if a casual fan or somebody that didn't really know Michael asked me, hey, what do people think about the Bad Album? I'd, I'd send them this article. It's a really good rundown of it, I think. I learned some cool stuff in there. Um, I had no idea before that apparently Speed Demon, the song was written by Michael straight after apparently getting a speeding ticket on the way to going to the studio. I don't know how I hadn't heard that story before, but I hadn't. Um, that was fun to read. <laughs> no, it was a really well-written article, much better than some other articles that have been released recently for sure about Michael's music. This was a really, really well-written article. Good job, Chris. Good job, mate. Legend. Absolutely. And also the next MJ101 ebook. That will be on the Bad Album. That's, uh, of course, by a friend of the show, Andy Healy, and he's still working on that. He's not going to release it until that's perfect quality, so that will be still coming, but, but soon, hopefully soon. Yeah, I look forward to reading that one. I'm curious about how he writes it because in a lot of his other books, what he has is like a count or count up, not really a countdown, but he sort of has a, a list from um, top to bottom of his favorite things. And I, I don't know how he's going to do the bad one. Is he going to list it like the, the worst to best song on bad or is it just going to be track by track? I'd imagine it would be track by track, but because you can't really, I don't know, you can't, how can you rank like the songs from best to worst on one album? I don't know, but it'll be good when it comes out nonetheless. Can't wait. I can't wait for the images because yeah. bad, bad era pictures are amazing and and yeah, Andy just has beautifully, beautifully illustrated books, which are free, by the way. Go over to the show notes. The link's there. Amazing free ebooks for you. Uh, some new footage has come out as well from the Dangerous World Tour, courtesy of Shana Mangatal. Um, regardless of what your views are on her, whether she's trustworthy she, or not, she does release fan, a lot of footage. <laughs> good at fan fiction and releasing good footage. Yeah, I don't know. She says it's from her personal archives. I don't know. It seems to me like somebody's just sort of using her as a conduit to get this footage out, but I, who knows? Uh, regardless, it's actually really interesting footage. Uh, it's Copenhagen, Copenhagen, don't know how to say that, concert tour, Dangerous World Tour. It's interesting because Michael apparently cuts his hand in, uh, during it. Um, he's performing jam. You don't see when it happens, but he's performing jam. I think he hurts his hand somehow. Like, apparently, he sort of catches it on his belt or something. And it, it looks like, like he cut his finger, and to be honest, I'm surprised he didn't do that more often. Like he had these, you know, very elaborate – um, pieces attached to him and they were yeah. metal and sharp. I'm surprised it didn't happen more often. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then 
It's kind of funny to watch because he's sort of performing. I think he's performing human nature. But during the performance, Michael Bush is like running on stage trying to fix his hand up by putting a Band-Aid or something on it. <laughs> it's really weird to watch. It's very funny and odd to watch because it's not the usual sort of exact performance that you would see. He's improvising yeah. by getting a Band-Aid put on him. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's crazy because Michael's like so like regarded as the consummate professional consummate performer and then just to watch him just in the middle of a performance do stuff like that is it's kind of cool it adds a little bit of organic realism to an otherwise very very produced um performance so it's cool and proves that he's human so yeah. like when batman says to superman do you bleed yes michael bleeds <laughs> Uh, I think there was another concert leak as well recently. MJ Beats, the awesome team over there, have leaked the uh, Johannesburg History World Tour show. Yeah, it's the final show, I think, of the tour. Actually, you might be right there. Oh, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was. I know he finished in South Africa. I don't know how many shows or what cities he played there, but I think there's a chance it was the last show of the whole tour. While you talk about it, I'll have a little look, okay? I think it is an interesting show to watch. I haven't watched the whole thing yet because it's really hard for me to sit down and watch a history tour from start to finish these days just because of, and I don't want to bang on about it, but, you know, the lip syncing and everything. And I sort of prefer to watch older MJ shows now that are all live. So, But anyway, the audio mix of it is really good. The Even though the, the most of the vocals aren't live, I think, only 15% or something of the, the Michael's vocals are actually proper live. But the actual band, like the, the the mix of the band sounds really good, way better than other history tour shows I've heard. The bass is really rich. Um, you can sort of hear that the instruments are recorded better. Like they sound more separate, more spaced out. You can hear each instrument. The bass is really rich. So I was really enjoying listening to the bits I heard um, just for the audio quality. And there was some, you know, like as usual, Michael, one cool thing that Michael did on the history tour that he didn't do in his other tours was, um, you know, that Billie Jean dance sequence, um, the dance breakdown that there's like unique from show to show. Every single show is different. He's just going in the moment and doing what he wants to do, uh, which is why I like watching certain parts of history world tour shows and this has some really cool improv stuff going on in the billy jean performance like he's doing a lot of robotic movement a lot of improv there so maybe check it out just for that really fun so um there was actually two dates listed on the wiki for johannesburg october 10 1997 and october 12th 1997 and then there's another show after that listed as october 15 97 in durban ah it might have been uh, you know what i remember michael prince telling us that maybe durban was the last show yep so it looks like listed on the wiki durban's the last show but this could have been the second or third last show yeah. as joe berg was just before durban he did a lot of dates he did a uh, october 4 6 10 12 and 15 across south africa yeah this is a very long tour yeah it was this huge is, so it started in September 796 in Prague, of course. That's over a year. Just think about that. Like think about how long a year is in your own life and then imagine being in hotels and performing for over a whole year in your own life. God, no. That's monster. I did, 
last roster I did six overnights over on the east coast for work and that was enough and that was in 28 days and I was like no this is enough way too much crazy now have you got some more insight into this show from someone yeah we've had a great audio submission from friend of the show anthony king he is a dance instructor at pineapple dance studios in london runs a really great website that we'll put in the show notes Um, and anthony king is an expert on michael jackson performances he breaks them down there's nobody out there that knows the ins and outs of uh, mj's tours better than anthony so we'll cut to an audio snippet from him now greetings to the mj cast it's anthony king here It's been a while since I've done this, so I'm going to enjoy it, and I will be back with more, I promise. But today we're going to take a quick look at Michael Jackson's history tour in Johannesburg in South Africa, which was leaked. Now, um, this is the last week of the history tour, so it's October 1997. Now, I was reading that the capacity for this crowd was over a hundred thousand people i've got to tell you though i don't know about that i would dispute that um anyway really good concert very special concert it's quite electrifying um but on the other hand michael was obviously quite fatigued if you listen to his vocals and want to be starting something you really hear his fatigue you know he's been performing for a year and um any tour is tough, but you can really hear it in him. What are we starting something? Let's go straight to that. What a performance. Great song. Um, do you notice that he, with the breakdown of the song just before the chant, he doesn't really sing. He just saves his vocals completely. He doesn't even spin before the chant. Now, sometimes he doesn't spin, but 95% of the times, maybe even 99% of the time, he will be spinning before the chant. So you could really see the fatigue. Now, Michael's parents were in the audience. He dedicated um, the, the Jackson 5 section to them. Um, great shots. Uh, now I'll be there. Now, Billie Jean. Let's go straight to Billie Jean. Um, the ending of Billie Jean was very different to Michael's usual endings. He reprised the suitcase with the hat, took it all off and walked off. And it was dedicated to Princess Diana. I understand. But because there was a microphone failure, the people at home or the people watching the recording can't hear that. So just so you know, oftentimes the audience can hear what Michael's saying, but it's just there's different channels for the sound. Okay, Stranger in Moscow, which I've got playing right now. Beautiful performance. Really great bass. Great performance. Reminds me of... Michael's uh, Amsterdam performance actually one of the best parts of this performance for me are the different camera angles Michael augmented his team with some additional cameramen so we get to see some great shots that we don't usually see don't usually see and especially in Stranger in Moscow we get to see David Williams playing really great guitar and it's really nice to see that actually Um, the extra cameras just give this show a special um, extraordinary feel because we're, we don't usually see certain angles um, quick thing about Smooth Criminal uh, did you notice that in the later uh, parts of the tours his leans were quite disappointing he didn't really lean very much 
Um, I don't really have a reason for that. May possibly lack of motivation, couldn't be bothered, I don't know. Um, musically, though, the band are on form for this show, really funky, especially songs like Thriller. Talking about that, check out the, the illusion at the end of Thriller and the gap in between Thriller and Beat It. Michael goes off to get a nap, eat a meal, chill out, and this guy... <laughs> and then pops up for beat it i mean he's taking his time as i was saying earlier he's fatigued who's gonna rush him it kind of kills the illusion to be honest i always felt that with the history tour you want to have the speed like um in the dangerous tour working day and night into beat it so you're always going to compare it to the old days but it it did slow down as michael got older but um especially towards the end of the tour it really slowed down as you can see between the long, long gap in between Beat It and Thriller. Um, but as uh, royalty say, the king can't be late. It's everyone else who's early. All right, this is the most outstanding thing of this concert, without doubt, is Beat It. The Beat It dance is two bars out. A bar is one count of four. The dancers fight a little bit too enthusiastically and the dance starts late. So they essentially dance the dance off. Um, it works out pretty well though, considering, um, but it's very odd. I kind of wasn't really watching it properly and then I was watching the dance. I'm like, well, there's something wrong. And uh, that's what was wrong, they're out. Um, which is surprising actually, that all the dancers did very well for getting that first beat. They weren't really looking around, so they got it pretty well, but yeah, two bars out, shocking. Earth song brilliant performance musically sounded great um if you notice for the end of earth song he's off to the side of the stage um again that's pretty unusual usually he's um he's uh in the middle for the tank but uh he, he just seems to, parts of this show to be fatigued and um but even so magical performance children singing we are the world before heal the world really nice touch i like that a lot actually i um i actually think that probably should have been added to all the shows there was something quite uh how would i describe that there's something quite beautiful about it it was really nice to give them an opportunity um <laughs> i'm just looking at my notes here and i wrote it took them a year but they finally got the microphone to work for history. <laughs> Do you see when Michael runs off to the side and he goes, oh, <laughs> it never works. But on this show, it worked great. I was actually shocked when I was like, oh my goodness, it works. Um, so anyway, there, there's some of my opinions on Michael Jackson's history tour in Johannesburg. I can't remember if it was the 7th of September date or the October the 15th date. I haven't really watched the whole show because I was in Norway um, teaching some dance classes. But um, I did. I actually listened to the audio when I was going across uh, Norway. And um, yeah, again, I really, really did enjoy it. Especially Thriller, Earth Song, Want to Be Starting Something. And my favourite, Stranger in Moscow. What a song. What a song. Lonely, 
MJ Cast, it's been a pleasure. Um, greetings to everyone around the world listening to this. It's been a long time since I've done this. I really will do more in the future. There's been some things I've had to deal with, and um, it's always great seeing Michael Jackson in his prime. And I'll see you guys soon. Bye bye. Thank you for that rundown, Anthony King. Good to hear from you again. So we're going to head to a, a music break first um, right now. So it's the uh, the Spanish version of um, What More Can I Give, Toto Parati, uh, which actually features Ricky Martin. And again, if you can help uh, for the people of Puerto Rico, uh, you can go to youcaring.com slash Ricky Martin and you can donate to help that appeal. And, Jamin, your appeal was for the uh, Mexico earthquake release? Uh, correct. It's for the relief um, of the victims in the earthquake. Uh, you can go to youcaring.com as well. I can't give you a short link for that one, but you can follow at the top of the show notes to get a little bit of money over there to help those guys in their recovery efforts. So I hope this first music break today inspires you to help. se perderán y nadie protestará cuántos pequeños van a llorar y nadie lo evitará un poco de amor no hay más que pedir para vivir cuántas miradas se esconderán pretendiendo no saber que al mundo herido hay que ayudar de todos el deber con una oración y un poco de fe ayudaré voy a dar todo para ti voy a dar todo para ti
Hello, this is Hector Bajo, the Michael Jackson Collector Mebobilia, and you are listening to MJ Cast. Beautiful song. Love that one. It's it's uh it's a real shame that it never actually got a proper, proper release, and I hope that one day Sony Music and the Estate really realize what a gem they have on their hands there and put that song out in great quality for, for MJ fans to enjoy. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> Speaking of things that are really great quality, something came out recently by fellow Aussie MJ fan, John Cameron. Really great audio production on this. It's actually a radio documentary called Janet, Jam and Lewis, Deconstructing 30 Years of Music. Came out on uh, Sin Media 90.7. Came out on the 16th of September 2017. Really, really amazing. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's up on Mixcloud as well for you to go have a listen to. It is a phenomenal audio documentary all about uh, Janet Jackson's work with uh, the mega, super amazing producers, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Q, did you have a chance to listen to this? Not yet. Last week was a massive week at work, so I did not get a chance to listen to this. Oh, but I have you're gonna bookmarked love it. it. I know. I am going to love it. This would just be beyond what I've ever thought about hearing sort of behind the scenes of a, a Janet album and the creation. It is phenomenal. And like the production is second to none. He puts us to shame. <laughs> if this guy ever gets into podcasting, <laughs> we're out. <laughs> we're screwed. <laughs> but this is like for like real radio. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. We're not. Yeah. I'm sitting at the kitchen table with my iPhone headphones. Okay. <laughs> So uh, it's it's really good, and I won't give you too many spoilers then, since you haven't listened to it. But trust me, you wanna you wanna <clears throat> properly set aside like I think it's an hour and a half. Just set that time aside, dark room, good headphones, and just get immersed in the story and the music because there's music goes all the way through it. And I'll give you one little spoiler. <clears throat> there's this part at the very start of the of the show where he's talking about the pleasure principle, you know, the song pleasure principle. Of course. Um, And he does this thing. I don't know how he does it, but it's, it's wild. He's talking about each element of the song. Like he'll talk about the synth for a little bit and he'll talk about the drums for a little bit and then the vocals. And then under him talking about it, it's just like just those elements of the track are playing. So he'll say, he'll be talking about the synth and you're only hearing the synth. Ooh. I, I don't know how he's done it. It's just wild and you are going to love Yay. this thing. Sounds like going to a <laughs> seminar. It, it is. It really is. And oh, he's got all man. these great interviews from people that worked with Janet, including Jam and Lewis. And uh, it's, yeah, props to John Cameron. He has put together a proper, proper world-class production that is that the Jackson family deserves. This is the sort of nice. thing we're, we're always saying, oh, the Jackson family don't get enough credit for their work. Well, John Cameron's given them credit. It's awesome. Well, happy to talk about it. And good work, John. And um, so, yeah, if you're in the J tribe and the Jan fam, check (laughs) this out. Don't miss it. Speaking of Janet, she has just kicked off recently her State of the World tour, starting in Houston. Yes, 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 Slay Queen. (laughs) Damn. Oh. Oh, my God. Wow. Sadly, Jason never got to go, um, but wow. Actually, I've got um, shout out to Hassa. Hey, Hassa, how you doing, man? Uh, over there in Melbourne, but uh, he sent me some links for some, don't know what format they were, but they were videos on Twitter from people from some of these shows. 
Yeah. And then we can pop them in the show notes because, yes, wow, looking amazing, Janet. The State of the World Tour looks incredible. I can't wait, hopefully, to see it when it continues around the world. Oh, my God. Janet is slaying. She looks better than she has, I think, since um, a long time. Like Motherhood since Demeter Joe or something. She looks incredible. Well, it's like <laughs> you put photos next to each other and it's like, well, what the hell decade is this even from? Like <sighs> she's got the elixir of youth and just looks beautiful. So, but looks like a great show. I love this sort of the, the message of it. It's really strong and so fitting for now. I think people are just loving the shows. Yeah, it looks incredible. I've seen footage of it. The dance routines are phenomenal. Uh, the video interludes look really, really cool. I hope she takes this worldwide. It it looks excellent. She's got a hectic schedule. I, I just went to her website. You can go to JanetJackson.com, click on tour, little tab at the top. It tells you what are all her upcoming dates are. She's performing a bunch of shows in California starting in the first week of October. And these shows are like, she only has like a day break. <laughs> between these shows like a lot of them are back to back like um crazy schedule. just one night break and then occasionally she has like a day off it's really really full on the show's getting really good reviews i read an excellent one this morning there was i can't remember from where it was in america but uh, a music reviewer attended a show and this guy right he attends heaps of shows in this particular venue near where he lives and he said that you know in the 20 years or something he's been going to this venue he has never ever heard the venue shake like it did when Janet was performing. He said that you could physically feel that every single person was like jumping up and down and dancing. And he said you could physically feel like the floor just, it was just full on. (laughs) Nice. Um, Same old, same old, like, yeah, a little bit heavy on the lip sync, but that's nothing new. So I don't know why people are expecting something new or different, but. I'm still happy to go and pay my money to see and experience Janet for sure. I, to me, that's just that's just the performance. That's what I'm. I know that going in, and if you don't, then you're silly. So that's fine. Don't care. Long hair. Don't care. Flick flick. <laughs> that's it. Some Paris Jackson news for a busy lady, Miss Paris. Paris announced her new role as an ambassador for the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation. Uh, I have to say, emotional viewing. I see you've got a note here. Yeah, (laughs) I totally, totally teared up at this. Paris has really just stepped into her role as an activist and is just doing a bang up job. Like this is really amazing. You could tell from her speech with the um, prime minister of Luxembourg, I believe it was at this event uh, that she really cares. Like she was a little bit nervous, which was really cute to see and just to see how natural she was. But Paris, the activist is just so inspiring. I'm so beyond thrilled like I remember for days crying when her father passed and just wondering what was going to happen for these kids in the future and then again seeing this video I was crying because just seeing Paris the activist was just 
so perfect and so fitting that her father left a legacy of just this and now Paris has like stepped into that role and for a whole new generation is going to inspire so many people and do such an amazing job. I'm so proud, beyond proud. Yeah, I felt exactly the same way watching it. It was a real sort of um, a feeling of, wow, you know, this this woman is is using her position of um, fame and authority and wealth and, and influence to show a whole generation of, of kids and of people, you know, where we should be putting our attention. So it's uh, beautiful, beautiful to see. Also really cool that she's decided to get involved in this particular charity because for those who don't know this, Elizabeth Taylor is actually Paris Jackson's godmother. So it's something that's very, very close to her heart as well. Something I can't figure out though, like this event was called Global Citizen that she spoke at and the whole take the knee or take a knee movement that's happening right now, I'm pretty sure Stevie Wonder performed at another event called Global Citizen. Was it the same where he did the take a knee? I'm not sure. What, Is it the I same mean, thing? I'm not sure if Stevie did it at the same thing or the same same event. Not sure. Yeah. Because there, there is another event called Global Citizen Live, which was like a concert performance in New York City. And I, I couldn't figure out whether Paris was at that or not. Because like, the video footage is actually quite close up of Paris on stage. So it's difficult to see what sort of venue it is and where they are. But yeah, if anybody's got more information on that, I'd be interested to know. Just tweet us at the MJ cast and let us know. But please go watch, go watch this speech. It's so incredible. And you will be so proud.
the breakdown. This is Tito Jackson, and it's Tito time. Thanks for listening to the MJ cast. And that was a really cool little Janet mix of her tracks, Night and Damn Baby, from the amazing Unbreakable album, her latest album. If you haven't already got that, stop the show, go and buy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy. <laughs> So there was a recent TV episode of uh, 2020 in the US and it was like a documentary sort of investigation sort of episode and it was offering insights into the murder of um, the boys of 3T, Tito Jackson's ex-wife, Dee Dee. I watched the documentary. I wasn't planning on it, but I did. The I, I did see that the... So Tito participated in documentary. Also, the boys of 3T, uh, Taryl, Taj, and TJ, they were featured in this as well, but they weren't very happy with the final product. And I can sort of see why. Personally, I can see why they weren't really happy. I think that the show was going to go ahead with um, their participation or not. So I think it was good that they did participate to get their opinions and, and and their side of the story which they lived into this but I think the the main push of this show was because the daughter of the um, convicted murderer um, whose name was Don Bohana uh, his daughter will be petitioning for his release and I think that was definitely the main push of this episode was to show that he's served the time and he should be let out of jail now. And I think that was their angle going into this. So as much as they did feature the family's side and some of the evidence which convicted this gentleman for the murder, I think it was definitely trying to throw doubt on the conviction and also to show that he should now be out of jail. So I can understand why they were unhappy. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I watched the episode before seeing the Jackson reaction to it. Interestingly, like, I don't know how that happened, but yeah, I just clicked on a link and watched it. And then I saw them all react. And like, as much as I agree with their position, 
uh, the Jackson position. Totally agree 100%. I didn't feel, after I finished watching it, I didn't actually feel at all sorry for that guy, Don Bahana. I didn't think he should be released. I Even though the show was clearly biased, I didn't think they presented any evidence whatsoever that should cast doubt on his sentence. Like, and that says a lot. Like they interviewed him and they interviewed his daughter. That was the time for them to say, here's why I was wrongly convicted, but they didn't. So if they're not going to use that opportunity, which was so biased towards them, then they, there is no evidence. It, it was ridiculous. I, don't think, I think in this day and age, they don't need evidence for people to change their views. They just have to give the insinuation yeah. And for people, that's enough. Like people now, they base all their news on Facebook, like headlines and stuff. And that's where they inform themselves of the world. And that's like complete bullshit. And that's how fucking Trump happened in America. Because just they're not educating themselves, but the media is playing a huge part in that. They don't need to present any evidence. They just need to go, well, this is how we want to push this. This is how we want to frame it. And then that's all they do. And then they leave every they leave it up to the people's imaginations. It was, yeah, you, you couldn't have said that better, Q. That's exactly right. It was really, yeah, uh, it was a bit gut-wrenching, actually. And then, It was. It was horrendous to watch, like, I, to get I the details of this. People don't really talk about this situation with as much weight as what it really deserves. Like, <laughs> this is a member of the Jackson Five. His wife was brutally murdered by her new husband. Leaving him a single father of A single three, father. Which was right when their career was about to take, well, it was. It was in their, the, pretty much one of the highest points of their career as well. It's an incredible story and we were so lucky when we spoke to, to Tito about it to get a little bit of an insight in how that was for him as a single father. And I think we heard from Taj when we spoke to him how obviously, obviously, clearly was the most horrendous thing that they ever endured. Definitely yeah. this is something, is this a story that well, to me it's not my business but the the out the aftermath of it i think more than the event the aftermath you know we have to respect uh, the boys for coming out of it so well and for such an amazing job that tito did raising the boys yeah i think it's important to learn about even though you're right it's not our business it's an important element of the Jackson family story. This impacted all of the Jacksons. If you, when you actually watch the documentary, they've got court footage that I'd never seen before of um, Jackson family members sitting in the courtroom. Catherine's in tears in court hearing this stuff. It is really brutal to watch, but really shows how real a family they are and how all of their situations impact each other. You know, uh, we spoke to Taj a little bit via Twitter DM and he was saying about, you know, the a lot of evidence was left out. You know, they I, I think they probably went into a lot more detail in their interview and some of the more crucial evidence was left out against um, Don Bahana, which is sad to hear. They were definitely not happy with the outcome after I watched it. Then I went and looked at all their tweets. There were a lot of, you know, all three T-boys were, were um, saying how disappointed they were in the final product. Uh, I believe Tito did. I saw Brenda Ritchie, who was a close friend um, of 
of uh, Dee Dee Jackson. She was talking a lot about how disgusting the documentary was. She was there. She saw the wounds on her friend's body and was totally disgusted by the insinuation that Don was innocent. So I'm not going to recommend people watch this. We will have it in the show notes because we are a news entity and it's important that we get the news out. So we will have it in the show notes. But if you are a big fan of the three T-boys and want to respect what they're saying, take our word for it. There's some good little bits in there um, for historical perspective, but it's disrespectful. So, yeah. Anything more you want to say on that one, Q? No. Done. All right. Some good news. Amazing. This is so cool. 2018 is going to be a great year for Michael Jackson in the UK because towards the end of the year, August 28th, just one day before Michael Jackson's birthday, the National Portrait Gallery of London is opening an exhibition. It is a showcase of the King of Pop, Michael Jackson's artistic influence on modern contemporary artists. For example, Isaac Julie, David LaChapelle, Kiende, Wiley's works are going to be included there. If you are a fan of Michael Jackson, if you are an appreciator of visual art, this is something you need to attend. Oh my God, so incredibly jealous. And I know some of these pieces have toured before, which we will have a little snippet a bit later from um, recent Australian exhibition, which featured some of the uh, David LaChapelle pieces, but this is precisely the kind of exhibition that should be touring around the world and, and to explore Michael's influence on modern art. It's incredible. I'm just so happy that something like this is happening. Yeah, it's really cool. If, if I was living in London, I'd totally go to this. Co-host Charles Thompson, I'm sure, will go. Friends of the show, Samar from the Michael Jackson Academia um, Project. Just, if you're a fan in London, just go. Just go. Book, book tickets, go online. We'll have a link in the show notes. Book this in. What a way to, to celebrate Michael's 60th birthday next year. I can't imagine a better way, frankly. Yeah. And apparently there's more than just visual art there. I read as well that they're going to have some essays there. So I don't know whether they'll be printed and blown up and put on a wall somewhere, but um, this is going to be an artistic exploration into how Michael has impacted the modern world. Go and check out. There's a couple of the pieces featured on the um, the, the the article and, and where you get tickets. Go and check it out. Very exciting. David LaChapelle's work was also featured in a Ballarat exhibition in Australia called the Ballarat International Photo Biennale. It ran for five weeks over August and September and showcased a lot of great work. But David LaChapelle's photos in particular really took the, um, I guess, the uh, exhibits by storm. And uh, one of the nicest photos, I mean, this is probably my favorite artwork of his, is the one called American Jesus, Hold Me, Carry Me Boldly. Uh, it's really, really beautiful piece of artwork if you haven't seen it. It's got a like a, a Jesus figure sitting in a like a beautiful forest holding holding Michael Jackson. It's very, very nice. We recently um, were lucky enough to receive an audio submission from one of our friends of the show, Karen O'Halloran, who runs Michael Jackson Book Club in Australia. She was able to attend that and is going to tell you all about what it was like. Hi, it's Karen from the MJ Book Club, here to report on the recent David LaChapelle exhibit that I attended as part of the Ballarat Photo International held between the 19th of August 
and the 17th of September 2017. I was able to visit the exhibit twice. Upon going there the first time, I knew that out of the 90 pieces of David LeChapelle's work that would be on display, there would be at least one Michael Jackson one. So you can imagine my delight upon entering the main room, and there's not just one, but three of the Michael Jacksons. Not only was there three, but they were huge. Each one was two and a half metres in height. That's 96 inches, if you prefer that kind of measurement. And the detail that you can see from them when they're that big is just extraordinary. The three pieces are known as American Jesus, Hold Me, Carry Me Boldly, which is based on Michelangelo's Pieta. Then there's the beautification, I'll Never Let You Part, for you're always in my heart. And Archangel Michael, and no message could have been clearer. The works are wonderful to see up close. It's one thing to see them in photographs, online and on a computer screen, but to see them that large in person is just remarkable. The other thing which was the highlight for me was the reaction. It was a very popular exhibit and there was a lot of young kids in particular that were provided comments that just made my day. The first one was a young girl who was probably about 10. She was talking to her mother and her mother was explaining to her that Michael Jackson was this very famous singer from the 1980s. And the little girl interrupts her mother and goes, I know who he is. He doesn't moonwalk. And then a short time later, a young boy, and I think he was probably only six or seven, shouted out to his dad, Daddy, look, there's Michael Jackson. And he pointed to the Archangel Michael. And then he noticed the second one, which was the American Jesus. And he goes, look, Daddy, someone's carrying Michael Jackson. Just want to say thank you so much, Karen, uh, for sending that submission in. And I'm really thrilled that you got to experience that exhibition and got to see the huge uh, David LaChapelle um, artworks um, up close and in person. Uh, they are really incredible images. And thank you for telling us about them. I like It's um, an incredible way that those images came about as well because of course David never got to work directly with Michael Jackson himself so he's created these images by using impersonator Carlo Riley and then using uh, photo techniques as well to sort of merge Michael's face with Carlo's face and sort of blend to get them to look a lot more like Michael and, and, yeah, people really resonate and react with these pictures and these images because they're quite powerful pieces. So uh, if you need to talk to Karen, who's such a wonderful, beautiful lady, uh, over on Twitter, you can find her with the handle at MJ Book Club, and she's super lovely. So thank you for that, Karen. We really appreciate it. New music video coming out by an artist called Narco Bear. I've never heard of him myself, but uh, his new music video uh, features Paris Jackson. And there's a behind-the-scenes little video clip. You can go and check it out. And Paris is really cool in it. She looks like she's having a lot of fun. Did you see she's that such a, She's such a cool hippie. 
(laughs) She's so cool. I remember reading an interview with her and, you know, she's all about the, the, you know, um, you know, hippie way of life and, and, you know, not just her activism, but just like simple things and nature and yeah, it sort of suits the the song and this artist, I think very well. I think they're friends as well yeah. in real life. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, more Paris Jackson getting out there and in a good way. Yeah, it's fun. Check out the video. There's some cool little behind the scenes um, snippets of her goofing around and having fun with her friends. That's so pretty good. Very nice. Always happy to see cool things that the kids are doing. Another cool thing that a Jackson member has recently done is Tarrell Jackson released his new song. The song is called Start It All Over Again. I saw that he was issued a challenge by somebody on social media. They said that he had to get the song out in seven days (laughs) and he managed to do it in what, like a few days? He came out earlier than he'd expected. He was doing a countdown and then... A few days early, he dropped it. <laughs> he just dropped it. Yeah, it's on. It's everywhere, though. Like, sometimes we sort of complain a little bit about, why don't the Jacksons get releases simultaneously everywhere? Well, Tarrell's managed to, which is great. It's on iTunes. It's on Apple Music in a lot of different regions as well. It might be because he's self-releasing it. Who knows? Um, but I had to listen to it, and, mm, yeah, it's cool. It's good. I love his voice. I love Tarrell's voice so much. He's probably got my favorite one of my favorite voices out of the entire family. Music production style isn't right up my alley, but I can appreciate it. I think it's a little bit more in your style though, Q, isn't it? Oh yeah, I love it. It's really cool. Yeah, it's my I just it's a good song. I really did you see the video where it sort of in the video it showed him Oh, no, it was like audio in the video of him sort of coming up with the melody like maybe in a yes. car ride or something. That and was then it cool. Pre- yeah, progressed and uh, last year when he was doing some promo stuff for this project, it sort of featured that version of the song and then it's progressed into this whole, he re- completely redid everything, Yeah, the whole project. Um, he basically started it from scratch and started <laughs> all over again. It's ironic. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, no, it was really, really well done. Yeah, very cool. So that go and check it out. It's on iTunes. That's where I bought it from. And, yeah, if you like the, the 3T stuff or his solo stuff, go check it out. So I read this article that you actually sent me, Jamin, but I actually read all five pages of the article, <laughs> which you didn't realize, and that's why you didn't like it. Chartmasters have released this very in-depth and researched article detailing the history of of the sales of Thriller. And, of course, you know, different – you hear different figures for Thriller dropped by different interests and different companies. And this article tracks the sales from the 80s, like from 85. It tracks it all the way up to, like, current time, and it tries to get an accurate sales figure of the album. Because, you know, you hear like, you know, 150 million and then you hear 40 million and it's like, well, what is the the sort of truth? Well, apparently, and okay, so this, this article is five pages. You have to make sure that down the bottom you click on one, two, three, four, five to read <laughs> all of it to understand it because it will actually go through different regions, different countries and the sales figures 
for a different period of time. And then this guy adds them all up, counts them all and figure and then there's there's a lot that you can you can track precisely. And then there's a slight estimation for a little bit. So this guy has counted sales figures under control to 63 million and then less than 3 million has been worked out with estimations on countries, small countries that don't actually have a tracking figure for album sales or where the album may have been released, but there's just no way of tracking it. So if there is a gap with over a hundred million between some claims surrounding Thriller, they can safely point out that this cult album sold 65.8 million units to date with a very small marginal window of estimation and error, uh, which is a sensational 51.7% lead over the second highest selling album, which is Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, which is at only 43, not only, but 43.3 million units sold. So where does that other giant figure come from? So he explores that in the article as well. That is when they're actually also referring to the song thriller, which has been, as you know, included on many, 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 many releases and compilation albums, including another one that we're going to be discussing very soon. So it's people can report things and the way they report it is true but you have to look at what they are actually reporting in the basis of their figures. But yeah, so I thought this was a really interesting and well-researched article. So if you want to learn about the sales of Thriller and say Thriller 25 and all of the different things that have come out, uh, this is a really great article. I look forward to reading it. Yeah, reading it all. When you get the other four pages, (laughs) I think you're going to really enjoy it. Oh, God. All right. I look forward to that. Thanks, Q, for giving us that rundown. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> oh, man. In other thriller news, there's a awesome Sega game from back in the day. You probably remember it. Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. This is. I was thinking about this since reading this little article. I actually think this might be one of my first memories of Michael Jackson. Was oh, going, cool. Yeah. Like, I kind of dug it out of my <laughs> the cobwebs of my brain <laughs> and I remembered when I was in a gra- about like grade grade four or something grade three I went around to a friend's house his name was Kim Seow great guy <laughs> one of my close friends from primary school and he had a Seeger <clears throat> and I didn't have a Seeger so I was pretty amazed he had like a bunch of games like Sonic the Hedgehog and everything and then he was like well, we've got to check out this new game I got it's called Moonwalker I'm like what what is that it sounds interesting he put it on and, you know, it's Michael Jackson in his smooth criminal suit getting around the club, like fighting gangsters, trying to rescue kids. And it was like, I was like, well, this is really cool. You know, I love this. Who is this guy? So I actually think that might be my first memory of Michael Jackson. Anyway, it turns out that all this time later in 2017, a collector has uncovered a really, really rare copy of the game Moonwalker on Sega Mega Drive, or I was called something else in America. I can't remember. Sega Genesis. Genesis. Or something like Genesis, yeah. Yeah. And he's got this cartridge. It doesn't look like a normal Moonwalker cartridge. The normal cartridge looks like um, 
just like the art, the cover art of the game on the front. This one's like just a white cover. It looks like real temporary or something. And it, it sort of strikes me as maybe a test version or a test copy of the game. Um, and it's got a little difference in it that the other games don't have, the normal copies that were sold to consumers. In stage 3-2, there's a sequence where the song Another Part of Me plays in the normal game. In this really rare version, a computer game sounding version of the song Thriller plays uh, while Michael's dancing around in his smooth criminal costume. Now, this is super rare because the normal game doesn't have that. And apparently, the game was eventually released without Thriller due to copyright issues. Who knows? Maybe Rod Temperton didn't want the song in the game. I'm not sure. But nonetheless... This guy bought it for 20 bucks from a flea market and it is probably worth a lot more than that for collectors of rare Michael Jackson stuff like Hector Bajo and computer game enthusiasts as well. So uh, there is actually um, talk on Reddit and different discussions about this from earlier as well. The collector collecting subreddit references this cartridge or at least a description of it two years ago uh, and they say from what they can gather online, there is a copy which includes Thriller in the graveyard scenes when triggering Michael's dance move. A game frequently asked question post seven years ago also acknowledged the different versions. Yes, there are copies of this game that have four small clips of Thriller on levels 3-1, 3-2, 3-3 and 5-3 which are activated by holding down the A button until Michael starts dancing. Only the original release, the second release, also known as Rev01, replaces the Thriller clips with the clips of the level song Another Part of Me. Unfortunately, there is no way to tell the difference between the two without playing the game up to level 3-1 and activating the dance magic by holding down the A button. So if you have this cartridge in your possession for uh, this console, you might want to go to those levels and follow those instructions. And this will be also linked, uh, this article in the show notes, and see if you actually have one of the super rare versions of this Sega Moonwalker game. Because that would be pretty cool if you discovered the copy that you have is one of these super rare collector's versions that... (laughs) is very unique. I was a Nintendo kid, so I have no idea about all this stuff. We had the the NES and I was all about Mario and Mario 3 was my jam. Yeah, I like that game. I, um, this reading this article really made me want to play Moonwalker again. And, uh, here's another example of where the estate could do something really cool and just re sort of remaster it and re-release this game on, um, on different platforms, like put it out on iOS, Android, just get it everywhere, you know? It could be mm. really fun. Maybe. Uh, I watched a recent video about the game and it was apparently not a great game to play. Like it's very frustrating and the, um, yeah, just it's a very frustrating game to play. It doesn't make a lot of sense. The game I play. It. Yeah, but I think you're having fond child memories of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it's completely... If, usually games based on, on superstars and movies and stuff aren't that as good as other, you know, intellectual property developed by Nintendo and different companies, but it was fun. It was not a terrible game by any means, I didn't think. But anyway, 
We'll see. We will see. So. Actually, I have, I have something that I thought we had in the news, but we didn't. Did you see recently China's richest man, Jack Ma, performing Michael Jackson at some big company event? No. You didn't see this? No, I didn't see that. How? How did you not see this? It was all over the news. It was hilarious. And I'm just thinking if you can imagine, you know, Australian CEOs and stuff doing something this crazy. But I'm just sending you a link. Check it out as I'm talking. And it's hilarious. So I don't know what industry he's in. I'm going to guess like technology or computers or something like that. But this mega, 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 mega rich man in China, Jack Ma, came out full Michael Jackson costume. Oh, my God. It's not even yep. just like Billie Jean costume. It's no, no, full no, no, on no. dangerous yeah. world to of, a second leg. Yep. And all of the people <laughs> around him are like other high management of this company, okay, and they do this big Michael routine, I'm going to say that he's a terrible dancer. Like, he's shocking. He's this really is not. really, he's coming. <laughs> um, for those of you who haven't seen it, this Chinese CEO is arriving on stage in the Dangerous World Tour jam outfit on a motorbike in a mask. He's getting off. It's hilarious. There's like kung fu dance moves happening. Oh my god! What is even? What is this even? What is okay? This he's even? actually doing Billy Jean, but these aren't actually Michael Jackson dance moves. No, he he's not a dancer at all. Okay, there's like a few Michael moves sort of sprinkled in there a little bit, but not done super well. He's the CEO. He's he's not a dancer. I'm sorry, but that was the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen in my life. But it made huge news. I can't believe you didn't see this. Uh, made news everywhere because this guy is, you know, so well-known and, and rich in, in the region. And he's a big Michael fan, apparently. I'll, I'll show my wife. I'll show my wife today. I'll see what she yeah. says about it. She probably knows who he is. Probably more than more than me anyway. My God. Well, thanks for that, Q. I'll put that That's in the okay. That's okay. That's just a random <laughs> drop that in your lap for today. <laughs> All right. Now, Bet we weren't talk- expecting that. <laughs> We've talked a lot today about Thriller. So before we get to our main discussion topic, which is going to be all about Thriller 3D and the new release of Scream, let's listen to a remix of Thriller. I'm going to throw you tonight. Ooh, babe. I'm going to throw you tonight. Oh, darling. I'm gonna throw you tonight Ooh, babe I'm gonna throw you tonight Ooh, babe Ooh I, babe I'm gonna throw you tonight Ooh, I'm gonna throw you tonight I'm gonna throw you tonight It's close to me Something evil's lurking in the dark Under the moonlight You see a sight that almost stops your heart You try to scream But terror 
the sound before you make it You start to freeze And so it looks you right between the eyes You're paralyzed
night hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. And whosoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. Hi, this is Scott Ross, lead investigator on the Michael Jackson trial, and you are listening to the MJ cast. Thank you for listening. Okay, everyone. This is our main discussion topic for today. Of course, we're going to be discussing the recent Scream compilation album release, and we're going to go into a quite in-depth discussion about the Thriller 3D screening. So, this is actually our second time recording this discussion, <laughs> and this is the reason that you guys have been so patient that this episode was pushed back a week from its original release schedule. So we wanted to make sure we got it right, so we got a few extra voices to include. Well, first up, we're going to hear a little audio submission from Marnie, who was at the event in Sydney, and a rundown on the entire event and about the album, but we've also got on the line friend of the show and film editor, Paul Blackpool. Hello. How you doing? 
Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And Charlie Thompson, co-host, welcome to the show. Thank you for staying up till God knows what hour that you're going to be up till. Um, But we're going to keep this short, okay, Charles? For sure. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you. So let's head over to the submission from Marnie. We'll hear from that. And then, gents, let's discuss. My name is Marnie Cochran, formerly Carlson, and I'm reporting on my experience of the Scream album launch, which was held in Sydney on Friday the 29th of September 2017. So firstly, I was not interested in purchasing this album at all. I thought it seemed rushed and it was generally an unnecessary project for the estate to put out. Uh, Some of the song choices seemed bizarre to me, and there were some glaring omissions from the track list. I was, however, interested in the launch party. I have attended nearly every launch party in Sydney for Michael Jackson's albums that Sony Australia have put on since 2008, and I know they put on a great party. It gave me an excuse to get away for the night and see some fan friends, but mostly I was interested in watching Ghosts on the big screen. Uh, The launch party had been announced in conjunction with the Scream album announcement. However, we didn't get any information for the Sydney launch party until around a week and a half before the party itself. All we knew initially is that Sony were holding launch parties in major cities around the world, with Sydney being one of those cities. Information slowly started trickling out and event cinemas put up a page with the title Michael Jackson Scream Celebration Launch Party, but with little other information. I reached out to my contact at Sony Australia for more information and within hours we had the full story. The launch party would be $25 a ticket and include a tote bag with goodies, the album t-shirt, tattoo and a lanyard. There would be a screening of the Scream album videos and ghosts plus an after party. Many fans had hoped that they would hold the launch at George Street Cinemas where Ghosts premiered in Australia in 1996 with Michael himself in attendance. Unfortunately, this was not to be, and instead the party and screening was to be held at Bondi Junction Event Cinemas. It wasn't announced until after the London party, held on the 26th of September, only two days before the Sydney launch, that Sydney would also be seeing Thriller 3D. So, on to the party or the launch itself. Uh, My group and I arrived to the cinema at 6.15, so on time, that was when we were asked to arrive. And the setup was just incredible. I must say, they did such a great job. There was a red carpet with album artwork canvases, a professional photographer, smoke along the ground to set the mood, and the whole cinema was playing the Scream album. So it was just, you know, walking into an obvious Michael Jackson event. It's important to note that they did this all night. So at one stage I snuck out to go to the restroom during the screening and the cinema was still playing the Michael Jackson Scream album. Anyway, we printed our tickets and got a tote bag and entered the VMAX cinema and on every chair was a box of popcorn and a bottle of water, more goodies, plus a pair of aviator-style 3D glasses in a case. This was a great little detail and something that we can keep forever. Tim McLean from Sony hosted the party and after a short speech, we heard the worldwide premiere of the Thriller Steve Oakey Midnight Hour remix. I didn't think much of this. It's noisy, kind of crunched together, just a lot of noise, but we'll surely get the young kids in the clubs dancing, which I suppose is its purpose. It was then on to Thriller 3D. This is something that I didn't really care about seeing. I didn't know how 3D would work on a film from 1984 that wasn't originally filmed in 3D. However, 
I was very surprised and this was definitely the highlight of the night. While the 3D wasn't perfect, it certainly wasn't bad and the restoration of the film was just beautiful. I noticed things in there in the video itself that I'd never noticed simply because the clarity was so great. It was cropped, however, upon speaking to some audiovisual experts, I am told this is how it was intended to be shown in cinemas in widescreen. The sound was great, and if anything, I noticed that the track was perhaps a little slower than the original uh, track for the video. Um, I could have been influenced by an interview that I read with the engineer who created the audio, however, so, and it didn't really matter. It, it sounded great. After Thriller 3D, we had the screening of the music videos and in order they were Dirty Diana, Scream, Leave Me Alone, Torture, Blood on the Dance Floor and Ghosts in Full. The videos were all shown in 4x3 and the quality was terrible, particularly for Ghosts, which I was so excited about seeing. The sound was distorted and crunched in places and this is perhaps because they played everything direct from a DVD. Torture was a great novelty though um, and it was definitely a blast from the past, you know, slime and an eye coming out of Brandy's hand and, you know, Michael Jackson not actually being in the video. It's such a terrible video and we got a good laugh. After the screening, we headed on to the after party. We were greeted at the door with champagne and beer at the function and it was really decked out. The little details were fantastic. There was another big canvas of the Scream album artwork, so if you missed out on the red carpet, you could take a picture. There were screens showing MJ videos, probably the Vision DVD, other screens that had the animated Scream album artwork. There was an open bar and amazing canapes served all during the night. They even had a pile of posters for us to take one or two home at the end of the night. Uh, there was a DJ. This was Loretta Bolton, who is quite well known in the fan community. The setup was just fantastic, and I couldn't fault the way it was all done. Tim McLean really excelled himself with this party, and he obviously put a lot of thought and passion into this. It was definitely a great night, and many fans I spoke to on the night would say the same. It was definitely worth the trip. I'm still not keen on the Scream album itself, but my copy will stay sealed in my collection and I have all the other goodies as a reminder of a fantastic night spent with Michael Jackson fans. And just one final thought, it's disappointing that more fans didn't come. I was told um, from Tim McLean that there was about 150 in attendance um, and this was a mix of fans and I suppose record executives or other people that they invited. Had they been able to announce the, that Thriller 3D was being shown perhaps a few weeks earlier, I think that many more fans would have gone and they would have actually filled up the cinema. Unfortunately, I was told that they weren't allowed to announce that. I guess it was meant to be a surprise, but it really didn't work because definitely more fans would have made the trip, especially from interstate like myself and a few others that I met on the night. Anyway, so that's my report from the Scream album launch party. Good to hear from friend of the show, Marnie Cochran there. Some fascinating insights into what it was like at the Scream launch in Sydney, uh, especially around being able to see Thriller remastered in 3D. But before we get into Thriller 3D and we discuss that, let's have a little chat between us now about this new album that's come out from the Michael Jackson estate and Sony called Scream. Q, how about we start with your thoughts? Oh, okay. Well, I just have a little list of bullet points. Um, so I'm going to start at the top. And what I'm going to list is what I think are the bad points for this album. So I've written that it's like a playlist that anyone can make because it's 
songs we've all got and then the other the mashup track is on YouTube and everywhere across the internet as well. So this is like a playlist that anyone can make. There's nothing new. If the whole album is actually on YouTube as a fan video. Like <laughs> it's not it's not even a playlist in YouTube. It's the whole just someone's put all the songs in one hour long thing. You can go listen to it on YouTube. Like there's nothing new. So the track list, like what were they clutching at straws for? Blood on the dance floor, Dirty Diana, Scream, Leave Me Alone, Dangerous, Unbreakable. But then they leave off, is it scary? I just can't even fathom that. You've heard from me speak about what I would love as an album sort of EP release at Halloween time so many times in the past on many shows, on our YouTube chat with Jenkins, all of that kind of stuff. So for me, this is a terrific concept. This product, though, the final thing is a bit of a lazy effort. The mashup, I listened to it again last night with headphones and everything. It's not the worst mashup out there. Tell, let me tell you, I have to listen to a lot of remixes and mashups on <laughs> YouTube and the internet for show stuff. This is definitely not the worst. It's fine, but it is messy. It mm. contains too much. It's even like it's got the kitchen sink in there. It has some really <laughs> awesome mashup moments, but they've just tried to cram way too much into three minutes 40. And to me, I don't know about you guys, the vocals seem off, like they've been processed or the speed has been changed or something. They just sound odd. And I, just, I don't know, this album should have just been an album of these real horror-themed songs, not clutching at straws like, oh, it's got blood in the title or it's got scream in the title. That could be scary. It's like, have you guys actually heard these songs and what they're about? Because half of these songs are not related to this at all in a completely other political topic. So it should have just been an EP or an album of the real horror-themed tracks. Then, for me... I would have loved a mega mix of all of the tracks in the one or immortal style, not some high energy club mix of Thriller. Oh my God, have you heard that new Thriller remix? <laughs> oh, the, the oh Aoki remix? Yeah, what, what is with that? Yeah, what <laughs> is that? Like Jamin once said, if they'd sort of done some sort of mega mix, that would have been a great chance to drop in unfinished and incomplete vocals. And sounds as like, well, here's here's some stuff that we can't use really anywhere else, but we could put it in this. That would have been really cool. Okay, I have good points to say. The cover art is awesome. It's so good. I think they could really use this cover art for a whole bunch of stuff at this time of the year. It's really well done, really awesome. It's a gorgeous cover, I think. It exposes Halloween shoppers to lesser-known Michael tracks potentially creating new fans that will then dive into his back catalogue. I think the fan launch parties and general fan excitement is a good thing, not having been to this event, but having been to other fan events in the past. It's, it is awesome fun. Like the launch parties that happened just recently, it gave young and old fans a chance to meet up, hang out, celebrate Michael, and to see his work on the big screen, which is, Hello, who like who doesn't want to go to the cinema, sit in a comfy chair and watch Michael on a ginormous screen? It further celebrates Michael at Halloween, as the muggles call it, <laughs> uh, or as fans and listeners voted to call it, Thriller Night, which is Mike's own holiday. And Michael's name and 
like his art, his music is in the media for a positive reason. There's no allegation talk at the moment. There's my good points. Cool. Pretty sure you just summed up <laughs> in general. Yeah, most of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just went. You just went all out. I think. I think I agree in general with most of your points. I've got a. I want to put a disclaimer in front of what I'm saying now. In that, and I'm sure we might even get into a little bit of this chat later if we have time. But I need our listeners to understand that even though I can talk positively about some aspects of a product in general. I myself am not in support of physically going to these events or paying for these products based on the fact that the that Sony still has fraudulent Michael Jackson songs for sale on iTunes. So putting all that aside, even though I wouldn't personally give my money to it, I think like you, you're saying, I think a Halloween concept, I think a Halloween product is a really good idea in general because it is a massive time of the year for Michael Jackson. Thriller skyrockets through the charts every year. They do, in my opinion, it's a good idea financially to capitalize on that somehow. I just think like like you think the execution of this album in particular is is really, really poor. There's some massive WTF things going on with this album with totally not non-horror song inclusions. I don't even understand what's going on there at all with Scream and Unbreakable. Like, really, really weird. It's 2017. We've got Spotify. We've got Apple Music. If you're on Spotify, you can make this playlist. So I, I think that the album itself is completely redundant in 2017. And especially since you just said it's on YouTube as well for free. I think if they were going to put something else out like this, they could have put a bit more creativity into it. I don't think that with this particular project, a remix pathway would have been the way to go in terms of um, new sort of contemporary beats, making Michael's classic songs into a contemporary style. I think what they could have done is got a really good producer who worked with Michael Jackson to go back to all the original stems and multi-tracks of these songs and sort of create, you know, an, an, I don't know, a 40 minute sort of experience with this music in the vein of Immortal, but better because I don't really like that album either. But using some of these original elements of the songs to, you know, come in and out of each other, you know, include some of those rarer horror themed Michael songs that he recorded that probably aren't going to see the light of day in a proper studio album release. For example, Monster. We know that's really incomplete, only a few vocals but incredible, incredible instrumental sounds to that. So why not weave a little bit of that in and out of the of the audio experience? They could have taken this to another level. It's just another half-ditched effort that is a little bit cringy, in my opinion. That's my thoughts on Scream. I'm curious, and I know a lot of our listeners are also, because I've heard from them, to hear from Charles. Do you want me to start with a list of my good points? <laughs> no, Charles. I don't think you have a list of good points. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we're all longtime fans here, and um, it's easy to uh, forget kind of the context in which this CD is being released. So let's just remind ourselves is being released on a label that Michael despised, that he never wanted to work with again. When he died, they found a piece of paper in his room where he'd written down his plans for the next few years, and he specifically wrote down that he wanted to work with either Universal or Warner, not Sony. Uh, his bodyguards wrote in their book that he still hated Sony. They wrote that somebody bought him a pair of headphones that were Sony, and he was so angry that he smashed them up. 
It's being released by an estate which is run by a man that Michael despised by the name of John Branker. According to a deposition filed in a recent lawsuit in the last years of his life, Michael Jackson was so disgusted and afraid of John Branker that at the mere mention of his name, he would burst into hysterical screaming. That estate run by John Branker has committed a series of heinous acts since it came into power over Michael's estate, including the release of fake songs from which it continues to profit and which it continues to sell both in CD form and online. So that's your starting point for this CD. Whether it has any merits or not is debatable, not to me, but some people think it's debatable. But that you know, you have to keep in mind whether you think it has merits or not, that that is the context in which it's being released. So that's your starting point. So even if you think it's a good idea, uh, you then have to take a moral position on whether whether you think it's a, a good idea or not. You're prepared to uh, say, well, the fact that I think it's a good idea is more important than the fact that Michael didn't want anything released on Sony anymore and the fact that he hated Branker, and the fact that this estate has released fake songs, and the fact that this estate has bullied his mother, and so on and so forth. Um, which brings me to the launch parties. I mean, I was not invited to the launch party. Shocking, Are you sure? I know. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> I was furious. Anyway, but and shocked. I was shocked and furious. But uh, no, I was not invited, and if I had been invited, I would have told them to fuck off, because... I don't want anything to do with them. They're disgusting. They're frauds. And frankly, I'm disgusted by any fan who crosses the picket line and attends these events. Which should bring me also to the word scab, because I know we've been getting some angry tweets. I am not referring to a pus-filled wound, although that could apply also. I am referring to the word scab in the English vernacular, uh, which is the word for somebody who crosses a picket line for a selfish reason, i.e. somebody who says to themselves, it's more important to me that I go to a party than it is that I uphold Michael Jackson's wishes in death. Uh, that is the the definition of the word scab that I'm using. Artwork, well, I, I'm not liking it. Once again, interesting to note, Michael Jackson erased from the artwork. Once again, no photograph. Um, it's so weird that they do that. They've not had anything except bad or off the wall with Michael's actual photo since his passing. They're the like only they're, two things. They're trying to erase him from his own catalogue, I think. It all comes back to their argument in court that his image is tarnished, that his uh, legacy has been damaged by the allegations, etc., there's just been a constant move to sort of uh, use the Michael Jackson brand, but without Michael Jackson. And you see that also with this animated cartoon thing that's coming out, where apparently he's going to be in it for like a couple of minutes at the end in animated form, and then the rest of it he has nothing to do with. So, you know, uh, I'm not really a fan of that. The whole project generally I'm not really a fan of. I mean, yeah, Thriller, all right. I mean, fucking hell, you know, I've been like Thriller to death. You know, he did do shit that wasn't Thriller. Do you know what I mean? So this whole digging up of Thriller again is just more of the estate's constant attempts to reinforce the idea that 
everything Michael Jackson did after the 80s was of no value and should be consigned to the trash bin of history and the anniversary should not be celebrated and so on and so forth. So we've missed a dangerous anniversary, we've missed a history anniversary and we're just getting more thriller. Yeah, thanks for that, John. What what do you, what are your specific thoughts on the inclusion of these non horror related songs on a horror album? <laughs> well, it's just sort of further evidence of the sort of stupidity and incompetence of the estate. I mean, if you haven't got enough songs to make a Halloween compilation, then don't make a Halloween comp. You know, you don't make a fucking cake if you've not got any eggs, do you? If you, you know, <laughs> what what are you doing? So, well, you could be you, vegan. It, well, yeah, okay. But this this is a, a concept in search of content. You know, it's like a a high concept pitch with no substance. Oh, I know. Let's make a Halloween themed album. Whoops, we haven't got enough songs. I mean, what a fucking cock up. So, well, there re- you know, there is. They, they do just have didn't enough. Use them. They just <laughs> didn't bizarre. use them. There's well enough. Well, what ones have been left out? Except, is it scary? So pretty much just is it scary, but I'd also argue you could have thrown um, Smooth Criminal and Little Susie in there as well based on the lyrical content. But nonetheless, there's like 14 tracks on this album. You can get away with a 10-track album. So get rid of Dirty Diana, Unbreakable, Escape, and throw in Smooth Criminal, Little Susie, and Is It Scary? And there you go. Well, there's also Leave Me Alone and Scream in there. I mean, they've named the whole album after a song that's got nothing to do with the concept. Yeah, that's a major problem I've got. And I want to cross over to Paul in a second, but the last thing I want to say on this album that frustrates me is that, to me, um, what they're going for here is a horror Halloween thriller night aesthetic, right? Scream itself, in in Michael's fans' minds, is a totally different genre and aesthetic visually. It's science fiction. So it, it just really confuses me why they chose Scream. The minute I saw that, I was like, hang on, that's Michael on a spaceship. That's nothing to do with horror anyway let's cross over to paul what do you think mate yeah well just just on that what i find interesting though is scream the song we think of it as a sci-fi simply because michael did a video and presented it that way if michael had of at the time decided hey i love halloween i like this song scream it's technically about one thing but i'm going to do a spooky themed video we might think of it more as that kind of thing so i'm trying to think if you put it on a record and you listen to the track, maybe you can get away with playing it at a Halloween party because that's the way I see this CD, really. I see it as an excuse to have something that you put on at a party and it plays through a whole bunch of Michael Jackson scary tracks and theme tracks and people go, okay, this is cool. And like you said, you might get introduced to some different sort of songs that you haven't heard before. But, I mean, yeah, there are definitely some tracks on here you go, what? What the hell? I kind of agree with Charles and with what you guys are saying in terms of, yeah, there's probably seven Michael Jackson tracks that are kind of really Halloween themed. So you should really either do an EP, like Q said, or you do an album that has the seven Halloween tracks and then fill the last 20, 30 minutes or whatever with some kind of mashup mega mix thing, not club mix but some kind of you know mega mix of all of those kinds of things and do it really well i think there are definitely though some tracks that got left off so you know we've already said the most obvious one is is it scary 
Like, it's ridiculous that that's not on there, in my opinion. But then you've got things like Too Bad, which although, again, this is what I'm sort of comparing to Scream, I don't think Too Bad, when you listen to it or read the lyrics, is a scary, spooky Halloween-themed song necessarily. But because he performed it in Ghosts, and he did it with a whole bunch of, you know, scary sort of zombie-looking, you know, guys and dancers and all that kind of stuff, it feels like it's kind of... Halloween themed that song because it's from the scary movie that he made. But I don't know if the song Too Bad is necessarily, you know, a scary song the way it's intended, but because of the video, I thought it could fit, which is what I was saying about Scream. Like the song as well is not really a scary song, but if he had have gone down that direction, maybe it could have been included. But I also think there's songs on, on that could have been included Probably the most absent one for me, if they've put Rockwell on there, why didn't they put Eaten Alive with Diana Ross, if you've heard that track, which mm. is kind of got all these monster sounds and, you know, growling and it's, it's scary and it's one of, don't want to be eaten alive and the video is quite scary. Good um, point. Good point. That's a really, yeah, that's that's one that could could and probably probably should be on there. Even if you, if it's supposed to be Halloween themed or haunting songs, like Morphine, bit of a touchy subject perhaps but it's still got a soundscape that's really quite you know moody and it's kind of scary in ways and it's kind of intense compared to some of these other songs i could see that might fit on there and then yeah if you're going to put things like unbreakable on there i don't know i thought maybe privacy would have been a little bit more scary because it's what michael dealt with and you know that could have possibly been better um, but yeah, I agree. Smooth Criminal, the bloodstains on the carpet, all that kind of stuff. I think um, possibly Who Is It, you know, is quite a scary and a dark song of sorts. Starting to clutch at straws here a little, but I think they could have filled out the album a little better than they did. Maybe even Off the Wall, even though it's kind of a somewhat joyous song, there's a certain, they used it in the making of Thriller and it sort of has that scary laugh. And, it, you know, some of these songs, if you're clutching at straws, probably be could have been better than uh, the choices they made particularly yeah dangerous scream leave me alone i don't mind dirty diana so much because it is a dark song and it's got all that scary soundscape but uh, i guess the one thing we should all be grateful for if we're talking about positives is that they didn't put casio's monster on there Yes. Yes. That totally because we and were we were freaking out that they were going to do that actually we were totally oh yeah they <laughs> And because, can I just know. say, on that point, there has been there has been no fan chat on our timeline and our social media about the exclusion of that song. I think that's quite telling. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's yeah. They, clearly, there's something where they realise that would be a complete disaster. But I would not have surprised me if they had to put it on there because if it's just you know people going, oh, let's do what we're doing and not really knowing the artist and the catalogue and the product, which I feel like this is the case. I feel like it's like they, they just don't know it well enough. Lawyers, whoever, whatever, marketing people clearly don't know the product as well as the fans. So, yeah, it wouldn't have surprised me. I mean, they've put the Escape remix on there. So it's like, okay, I had a small hope that they might put the original on there, but clearly that's not going to happen. Anyway, I don't know. I feel like this album, to me, in some ways, I, I get everything everyone's saying, 
and you know in a lot of ways i agree and i'm a bit of a perfectionist myself i find faults in everything so yeah nothing ever lives up to my expectations so yeah it is a bit disappointing but at the same time i'm kind of a little bit more in the camp of 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 something is better than nothing even if you they try and give me something that if they did it well would be 100% even if i get 5% Okay, well, I'll take that 5% and go, okay, well, I'm glad I got that 5%, you know, because to me, it's cool that there is something that's promoting Michael around Halloween. And it's kind of what you guys asked for. You said, wouldn't it be good if they did a Halloween themed album that people could put on? Yeah, maybe they didn't do the best job of it. But at least, you know, even if, if it's out there and there's ads for it, or there's, you see it on a shelf somewhere. And even if, you know, the little kid who doesn't know any of the, the politics behind it all says, you know, mommy, what's that? And she says, no, no, well, I'll, I'll look it up on YouTube for you when we get home. It's still, or we'll download it. It still kind of exposes a lot more of what Michael's about in some regard, I think. Because the only point I'll probably make about all of this, and, you know, it's hard not to get stuck in all the negative because, you know, I see what, I see all those points and I don't completely disagree with them. But I try and find a positive in it. And to me, maybe we have to think about most people in, in as fans who aren't aware of everything that goes on behind the scenes, particularly young kids. Most of these people just hear and see Michael Jackson and they're not really – diving into the politics. Personally, I do try and stay out of the politics a little bit. So yes, there's a lot of stuff, particularly like what Charles was talking about. It's all completely true and valid, but not everyone is aware of that. I guess Charles's point, maybe you're saying that everyone should be, but I'm sort of thinking like young kids who just see something like the Thriller videos playing because of this album or something, and they go, what is that? You know, to me, it's like they don't, need to know everything that's going on behind the scenes and a lot of people just want to enjoy Michael's art the way he wanted us to enjoy it and the only issue I have if there is one is that it's I'm not sure how I feel about kind of sabotaging our own enjoyment of it all or other fans enjoyment of it all to make that stand and maybe I mean I'm sure Charles you'll disagree with that you've said but I just sort of feel like I love Michael Jackson and I love you know the thriller video and I love a lot of these songs and if somebody presents something to me in a way that I can enjoy it and opens it up to other people to enjoy I kind of want to experience that and appreciate that and you know we'll get into thriller 3d but the fact that 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 exists now in a form that's in my opinion you know, more accessible, more enjoyable than the quality that we've currently had. I see that as a positive thing and, and I try and stay out of the politics as best I can. And I don't think that necessarily makes me a bad fan for not upholding Michael's wishes because I'm sort of trying to dig into the purity of what Michael was about, which is the art, and leave the rest of it out of there. Because in my opinion, the whole world's problematic with people who are doing the wrong thing and there's so much crap going on in the world i just feel like i want to try and stick to what is pure um and not sort of sacrifice my appreciation of it or other fans appreciation of it because of everything that's going on that i don't have that much control over um so yeah so i try and find a balance there but um yes i think they could have done the album better 
but uh to me you know at least i put it on because i got a free copy with you know when i went to this event and um you know i thought okay cool I, i like these songs so i'm happy to listen to these songs um so i hope that it expands that out to to other people as well well you're talking a lot about things that are pure and you're talking about people enjoying things the way that michael wanted neither of those applies in this case michael did not want his music enjoyed anymore on the sony label he did not want his products enjoyed anymore with the participation of john branker and there's nothing pure about a frankenstein project which has been put together in his absence by a a team of people that he had nothing to do with in, in large part I'm not talking to kids here. You know, this is not a podcast for kids. I'm talking to longtime Michael Jackson fans who were here when he was protesting Sony, who were here when he was firing John Branca, uh, and who were here when John Branca was lying to them after he died and was saying, uh, I don't know why people are saying Michael was ill because he wasn't, and then it turned out he knew all along that he was, and so on. You know, it's it's a perfectly valid position. You know, people boycott uh, meat companies because they mistreat their animals. People boycott clothing companies because they use sweatshops. And it's valid to boycott products and events which are organized by, well, in breach of what the artist's known wishes were, mm. I would say. And it's not, uh, you know, and you're talking about you can't make a difference. And it's true that individually you can't make a difference. But my thing is that if the fan community did come together, then it could make a difference. And the sad thing about Michael's fan community is that it's so fractured and splintered that you cannot get the community together behind anything. Because you've got, Mm. you know, some fans who are going you know well this is being released on sony and we shouldn't be buying it because michael was very clear that he didn't want to work with sony anymore then you've got another contingency of fans who are going well we'll just buy five copies each then you know (laughs) so it's you know it's the whole thing is a shambles but you know the point i'm making is as a community we should be coming together to fight for what's right is what Mm -hmm. michael did when he was here and we owe it to him yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, I guess my question would be, if things never change, if these people are always in control and this record label and these lawyers and these people and this part of the estate, if that doesn't change, if that continues for a long, long time, do you feel like that fans should you know, boycott any products to do with that, including ones like the Bad Album that was released on Sony or, well, you know, technically Epic Records. But do you know what I mean? Like, do you, would you sort of in protest say, I am not going to listen to anything that's ever been associated with these people and, and this record label because of what they're doing and it's against Michael's wishes? Or because that's my concern is it's like, I get what you're saying, but in order to, you know, take that stand, it means basically saying, I won't listen to Michael or I won't watch Michael, which is kind of why I'm a fan, you know? So how do you feel about that? Well, I would say that anything that Michael sanctioned and released uh, when he was here, you're Mm -hmm. fine with, but anything which has come out posthumously is against his wishes. And to be honest, what have they put out posthumously that you'd particularly want to watch or listen to? You've had one crap album with fake songs on it, 
you had another crap album that at least didn't have fake song, songs on it but was still crap mm. you had um, <laughs> a bad DVD that was worse quality than VHS bootlegs that have been circulating for 20 years I mean yeah. what have they actually given us well, that you would from... care about and what could they give us that you would care about Okay. Well, for me, it comes down to that thing I was saying about, you know, 5%. It's like, yes, I'm completely in agreement. Agreeance. If I, if I was, if I ran the world in terms of Michael Jackson, I would say employ somebody like myself, yourself, you know, us guys, employ somebody who knows the product, who knows the artist, who knows what the fans want that can actually do it right. So I wish that would happen. And if I was, you know, in charge of some of those decisions or had a vote in the estate, I think I could do so much better job as we all feel, I'm sure we could. But I come back to, yeah, they, they never get it right, but that's my whole life. Like nobody ever gets anything right to me because I'm sort of cursed with this, whatever you want to call it, perfectionist street, streak. So I find fault in everything, which is great in my job as an editor because that's what you're supposed to try and do fix things but it frustrates so when they put out these products and they mostly are disappointing i go all right well there might be maybe there was five percent of that that was good so yeah the first michael album we know is problematic but there was a couple of songs on there that were pure well they weren't because they were contemporized but i mean they were still real michael vocals that I hadn't heard before, and I was like, okay, cool, I'll take that, please. And when they released, you know, the Vision box set, yes, it was a pain that they screwed it all up and didn't do it all properly. But, you know, there was some nice packaging, and I was like, okay, cool. The little menus, I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. There's, there's, there's half a percent of enjoyment there, but it's better than nothing. So when they put out stuff, Bad 25, the Spike Lee documentary could have been better, but there was a lot of really good footage in there that I really liked. You know, that was shot on whatever, 16 or 35 from behind the scenes and on set of the video clips, short films. I think the um, the off-the-wall one had some high-def footage in there of, of, of Triumph that was good. You know, so you get percentages. And yeah, it would have loved if the Bad Tour was in high definition or they'd remastered, remastered it to present it, you know, in, in, in a standard def but high def delivery would have been great. But again, I'll take the the 12% that I got on the VHS DVD version. So yes, it's not as good as it should be, but I still think that there are some things in there that I go, all right, well, that's all they're offering. But to kind of come back to your main question, which is very valid, I think, is what should they release? In And I'm, I'm hugely into higher quality videos, as I know most of you guys are. I'm waiting for them to remaster all of the videos from original elements as best they can and present them in the highest definition quality they can. And obviously things like Ghosts and Captain Neo, but, you know, all of the, the concert tours that they can get hold of, you know, most artists have, you know, three or four or five different, like you can look at Queen, they've got like three or four different releases of the same concert from different countries and they've found whatever they've found and they've you know i just think there's a lot out there that they could put the investment and time into remastering and um you know trying to get the high highest quality stuff out there and release that you know victory tour bad tour you name it triumph tour destiny tour you know that's what i would love and i can't believe they haven't done yet because there's a market for it and they should do that and then, you know, in terms of music, if there is anything in the vault 
that that is worth putting together and releasing. I think a collection of that in pure form would be amazing. Beyond that, there's not much left. They're kind of cobbling together stuff and making up products, basically, is what we're all saying. So there is some stuff I think that they could um, definitely and should be focusing on. And when Michael passed, I thought, all right, as you know, as tragic as the whole feeling was, I remember at the time there was a positive resurgence of support of his art, and I thought, yep, within a year we're going to get all of this stuff. And we didn't. We got This Is It. Michael Jackson is back in action with his new album, Thriller. Thriller, Michael's new album featuring his latest hit, Billie Jean, plus his smash single with Paul McCartney, The Girl Is Mine. Michael Jackson's Thriller, The Excitement Never Lets Up. Available at all Sam Goody stores for $6.99 LP, $7.49 tape. Hi, this is Diana Walzak, sculptor of the Michael Jackson history statue, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. So we're going to get to Thriller 3D very, very soon. Um, you guys have both started talking about things like uh, what would you have done if you'd, if you'd been in charge of the estate. And, and listeners, stay tuned because at the end of the year, we're going to have a special roundtable episode where uh, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to have a group of participants who are going to talk about what they or what we would have done if we had have found ourselves in the position of being in charge of the Michael Jackson estate in 2009. So that'll be a really interesting show to listen to. Let's talk about Thriller 3D. Now, we know that Thriller 3D was first premiered at a couple of film festivals. I think they were Venice and Toronto. It was really about a month ago that they started to premiere, and I started to hear whispers around that time of some um, issues with the film, like the, it visually looking stunning and amazing and beautiful and brilliant and remastered, etc. but there being some kind of audio uh, sound issues at the Toronto Film Festival especially. And those sort of rumors started to pick up steam and then eventuated in a situation where we had people actually attending the uh, London Scream launch, watching Thriller 3D on the big screen, and then um, tweeting out and complaining about the actual sound, saying, look, there's a lot of stuff missing from from this audio, especially in the dance breakdown. There's actually, you know, elements of, um, you know, like horns and, and guitar and different actual musical elements that have been taken out. It sounds like this weird modernized remix of the movie and what's actually going on here. So it was a little bit confusing at London in, in that sense. And we're going to play a little audio clip right now for you guys of sound that was captured in, in London. Let's have a listen to that.
Okay, well, there we go. That was some audio that was heard at the London premiere of Thriller. Now, I can now say that apparently that that audio was was somehow fixed. We don't know how it was fixed. We don't know why it was fixed. Um, Charles, I think you got a few little ideas around that. We'll get that in a sec. But when the when the film was shown at Sydney at the Scream launch in Sydney, it was definitely a different mix. Let's listen to that one now. So there we are. You've heard two quite different sound mixes there for Thriller 3D. And after the London uh, Thriller 3D premiere, there was pretty much fan hysteria. And with the mix like what we heard from London, I can sort of understand why, because it was definitely not the original sounding uh, track of Thriller, the film. We had heard from in articles and also on Twitter from Martin Nessie. He was, I believe, a sound engineer. Is that correct, Jamin? I think so, yeah. He was in charge of uh, remixing it for Dolby Atmos. That's right. So Dolby Atmos is a very specific sound system that not all cinemas carry. He was in charge of mixing it for that. And uh, we'll have links in the show notes to an article which explained that they didn't have they couldn't find or whatever the original uh, multi-tracks of the thriller film. So they did have to rebuild it from scratch. After the London sound premiere, we feared that they'd rebuilt it and not rebuilt it to sound the same. After the London outcry and people bringing attention to it and obviously fans not being happy that it sounded so different and not great, in my opinion, the outcry may have added to New York Sony sending a brand new sound file to the Sydney event, hopefully the upcoming events in other cities as well. Uh, And that definitely paid off because it played the sound correctly in Sydney. That was the other thing also. Maybe the Dolby Atmos did not translate to the cinemas it screened in London and possibly Toronto, not entirely sure on that. So that would have definitely cut some channels of the sound out. But we've heard, too, there was a difference. I think the outcry was justified, and in the end, it was corrected. How would we like to move into the Thriller 3D discussion? Just on that audio thing, I think, for me, it was definitely clear that there were parts of the sound mix missing at the London version, and that could have happened for two reasons. Either, one, the cinema itself was not set up, or there was a problem, or there was something going wrong where it wasn't sending all the channels through or they weren't coming out or certain speakers weren't working, which happens all the time. Or it's a situation where they didn't send the correct DCP or a correct file and so some of the stuff didn't come through. But that article you mentioned definitely states that it was done properly to the level which we heard in Sydney. So they either there was just a technical problem in sending the file that lost some channels or didn't come through properly or it didn't get played properly. But if they sent a new version, I'm guessing it's the latter where there was problems with the actual file. It didn't encode correctly. Something didn't quite come out correctly and they had to fix it. Yeah, well, it's great to hear that the sound 
has all been fixed. That's a good thing. I think we'd all be in agreement, whether we disagree or not, on whether Sony and the estate should be putting out these products and and whether fans should be paying money to go and see them. Um, I think we could all agree in this discussion that it's really good that Michael's work is being remastered and preserved in as high a quality as possible for new audiences. Um, just with not with the actual launch parties, but with the film festivals and there's the upcoming uh, Thriller 3D screening at the Tokyo Film Festival on October 28. At the film festivals, they're also screening the making of documentary, which they have also remastered to mm. screen, which is very cool. And another point that they didn't just take many years to remaster the actual film, but they actually went back and good, did the documentary of the making of as well, which that's incredible that they've done that. Yeah, definitely. Now, Paul Paul Black, you are a film editor. You work in the film industry and you've also been to the Sydney Scream launch and seen this film. Give us your thoughts on Thriller 3D. Okay. Yeah, well, look, I love this video, this short film. So, to me, it was amazing to see it on a big screen and I heard all the issues and was worried and like everything that you know I go and see or experience I'm always worried that it's going to not meet expectations because most of the time I'm proved uh, correct that you know you go to something and they screw it up in some way or the projection or something so I was caught up in it so I Michael just came through in a way that I've never seen before and it was almost like seeing it for the first time and whatever issues if I saw it a second or third time I might detect in scrutiny Michael won me over like it was amazing just seeing him up there on the big screen clearer and sharper than I'd ever seen before the sound was pretty amazing in the theater it sounded really good I thought it was just incredible like it really 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 was the way Michael would have loved to have potentially seen it in 3D uh, hopefully if he if he had have been overseeing the project I think maybe he would have you know made sure it was exactly meeting his expectations but I think considering they did the best they could to try and meet those expectations I think they would have come pretty close for me when it came on I was surprised at how clear I could see Michael, like in the opening, sitting in the car, I was seeing him in a way I'd never seen before. It was larger and sharper and in 3D. And you just look, and, and I'm not into the 3D gimmick at all. To me, that's not what it's about. It's about just seeing the closest thing you can see of what it might have been like to look with your own eyes and be there in person to see Michael at that time in his life. So to me, it was like the closest thing to being on set when they're doing the dancing and when he's moving along and singing to Ola and the zombie dance. To me, it was like, wow, this is like you're almost there seeing Michael Jackson. I've seen that film so many times as a fan. I felt like I was seeing some of it for the first time and it excited me in a way that I haven't felt since the first few times I ever saw the video. So to me, I thought, wow, this is really, really impressive. My favorite moment was when he launched into the zombie dance, which I've seen a million times. It sounds crazy to say, it, but I forgot how brilliant he was as a dancer. Like I was watching that going, 
this is one of the greatest, probably the greatest dance pieces I've ever seen in my life. Look at this guy. He was doing the whole zombie dance. It looked real. It looked sharp. He was right there in front of us in 3D. Blew me away. And I just went, oh, he is so good. And that's the moment that I appreciate in all of this whole scenario about bringing it in the event and releasing and whatever to achieve that experience, that moment to me was, was completely well worth it. And there are a few other little things in there that I thought were pretty cool, like that they'd enhanced a little bit that you just couldn't quite hear in the sound before and things like that. But I think it's really true to what the intention was. Um, And I guess we'll probably get into in a second, you know, the whole debate about, is it, correct and the aspect ratio and cropping and all of that well but- can, can you do that now yeah i, w- I want to get to that soon <laughs> because i i've got to own up to something here and i i definitely screwed up here and jumped the gun but uh basically what happened was this film um when when it was shown in the cinema video footage was being leaked to us like from <laughs> participants <laughs> who were going to see it. They were they were filming it, sending it to us saying, hey, look, look at this. This is crazy from London and Sydney. And I was like at first really excited by how like, wow, that, that looks really clear. It looks incredible. But then I realized, hang on a second here. This is actually cropped. Michael jumps up in a, po- in a moment during the video and he actually jumps out of the frame. His head like disappears out of the frame. And I'm like, that doesn't happen in the 4 by 3 version that was released on DVD. You can see all of Michael. And I'm like, this is terrible. This is like if you go to an art museum and they cut off a third of the uh, Picasso painting you've gone to see and you're not seeing the whole masterpiece. I was really enraged. And I put a post up on all, all of our networks saying, how can they, how can they you know, censor portions of Michael's art that he left the way he wanted it seen? I was really angry. But then... Um, Paul, you you sort of communicated with Q your thoughts around how they presented it in that particular aspect ratio. I think it's really important that our audience hears as well, you know, why it was presented in that aspect radio, ratio and not the 4 by 3 version that Michael released on DVD. Well, um, essentially it just comes down to when you shoot on film, you shoot a certain size of an image, okay? And nine times out of 10, depending on what you want the final format to be, um, you'll have a lot more image than what you actually show on the screen. And that that's just a generalization about everything from HD to widescreen, letterboxing, everything, okay? So in this particular case, it's very common, depending on the type of uh, f- film they're using, um, to shoot an image that's essentially pretty close to a square on the film strip. So it's a kind of a square image that looks very much like pretty much what you see on the 4 by 3 square versions, remembering that we all used to watch those at the time on square TVs. So a lot of things would be shot on film, like all the feature films you see, you know, at the cinema, etc., And then they would have to be shown on square TVs later. So, you know, whether it's a film that's been in the cinema and then it's going to get shown on a square TV. Uh, But in the case of some of these short films that Michael would do, they would be like a mini feature. So they would shoot them all properly on film in the same way. And all the crews working on them are used to shooting films for features. They're all doing it in the same technique in the same way. So the result is you get basically a, a large square image captured which is pretty close to what they will show when they put it on tv and that's the version of thriller and a lot of the other videos we've been seeing pretty much for all time and having said that 
what they basically do is for every single feature film, they don't show that whole top to bottom. They basically project only the middle section, the middle ratio, which is essentially a wider screen. That's what goes onto the cinema screen. And then if that ever gets released in that format on, on a DVD or Blu-ray, you know, you either have a letterbox version uh, that we used to get um, when we had four by three DVDs that first came out, they just put black bars. But once we got widescreen TVs, they created something where you can actually see it in widescreen. And if it's even wider screen than that, like a two, three, five widescreen, you still get black bars on your HD TVs these days for a lot of feature films. Beyond those black bars, there's image that you're not seeing that was shot. So essentially, it is correct that on a 4x3 version, you will see more at the top and bottom, but it is intended on a cinema screen that you do not see what's at the top and bottom. And a lot of the time, they actually frame for that. They keep it in mind while they're shooting to keep things like boom microphones at the top of the screen out. Everyone probably knows in Thriller, you can see the lighting rig in the graveyard at the top of the screen. So they didn't keep that, what we call 4x3 safe which basically means on the 4x3 version, you can see lighting rigs that you're not supposed to see. So the misconception is that the 4x3 version is only part of what uh, the image was and there's more at the sides of the image that we're not seeing. That is not correct in this case. Okay, This is shot with an open mat so that they just throw that version on the screen for 4x3 and you see everything. The confusion comes because there's also something called pan and scan, which they did for Star Wars, the originals, when they put them out on VHS and DVD in the beginning. So that's probably where a lot of people famously know that there was more at the sides. Pan and scan is different. Pan and scan is basically keeping the height that you get in, in, a, in the widescreen ratio and zooming in on the image and moving it sort of left to right to reframe and things like that. So you're actually losing the edges and the top and bottom. Okay, so something like the original Star Wars films did that. So they didn't expand the top and bottom to see more at the top and bottom for the VHS 4x3. They kept the same height but lost some of the sides and just kind of panned and scanned across the image to find the best part to use. A lot more effort to create a version like that. So most people just open up the mat and throw it onto a, a DVD or a VHS. So that's pretty much the, the, the boring technical side of it. So No, in, that's not in, boring at all. <laughs> that's exactly what I want to hear. <laughs> so in correct terms... That is the aspect ratio that Thriller was supposed to be presented in. Now, if they do it correctly, because it's basically a 185, they call it aspect ratio, to fit pretty close to a 16.9 television or a 16 by 9 cinema screen. Um, so essentially, that's what they're trying to do. Now, the, the one thing, if they do it properly, that they can do, and this is what, I mean, I do this all the time, every single image, there's a cut from one shot to the next, what you're supposed to do, knowing there's more at the top and bottom, is go through and adjust every shot. You can move it up or down, and it sort of reveals or hides more at the top or bottom. So you can actually choose what you lose. So if you imagine the full height of a 4x3 square version of Thriller you're used to seeing, 
you have to lose something. Okay, let's let's be clear on that. For a widescreen version of Thriller, you have to lose something at the top or the bottom. But you do have a choice in what you lose. You could just evenly put the letterbox mat over it and lose whatever's at the top and the bottom. Or you could move the frame of the video up and get everything that's at the very bottom and lose a lot more at the top. Or, you know, obviously a variation that you think's best. The issue with a shot like when he jumps up out of frame is if you kept the very top so his head was still in frame, he would be cut off at the knees or almost up to the waist. So he'd jump up and when he lands again, you'd be sort of seeing half his body and then way too much headroom at the top of empty space and it would look a little weird. Mm. The only thing they could have done would be to add a camera tilt move where the actual shot moves but that's kind of messing with the original intention of the film by saying let's add a camera move where it starts and follows like him Like an up. artificial one. Yeah, like, like an artificial as if the camera tilted up and down and you would have noticed that. And so, it would have looked inconsistent with the rest of the filming because the camera doesn't do that at any other exactly, point in the video. Exactly, exactly. So I, what I cannot confirm, having only seen it once in the cinema, is how good a job they did. Like I said, I was so caught up in it that I wasn't really if I if something is really bad I would normally notice it I didn't notice his head go out of frame to be honest when I first saw it I only saw it in the screen grabs that people posted so I was so in it that nothing struck me as oh what is going on we've lost his head or his feet the toe stand in the th- in the in the, the main chorus of the song uh, I don't remember that being cut off but that is right at the bottom of the frame in the 4x3 version so we'll have to confirm this when we see it again but if his toe stand is at the at the bottom of the widescreen it means they've moved the whole frame up to fit yeah the the one thing i hope they haven't cut out the head the head disappearing thing i can sort of live with the thing i don't want to lose is do you know that one particular moment in the video where michael raises his hand up right into the air and it's almost like his hand lights up Mm. i i hope you can see his hand yeah, well, you'd you'd have to look at the four by three and 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 know what the aspect mask would look like, and you'd have to say, right, if I did the math, what could we what could we lose, and what would we keep? Sometimes a shot is so tight that you think, no, nah, there's no way we can keep his hand and his feet, so they have to either choose and move it up or down, and say which part do we want to show because we have to lose yeah. the same amount at the top and bottom. And it could be all from the bottom or it could be all from the top or a combination. But you have to lose the same percentage, basically. So, yeah, right. that maybe scares me a bit too. I can't remember how it came out. But I think if his feet are right at the bottom of frame, then, yeah, that's an issue. I will also point out, though, even though they shot this and it did get shown originally in theaters in 1983 – I think it was intended for, you know, MTV, et cetera. So I don't think they were as strict on trying to make it four by three safe. So, yeah, there is a lot of feet at the bottom. There's a lot of extra space at the top. So if they do it correctly, they should lose a lot more from the top and very little from the bottom throughout the whole video. So I'll be curious again to to see it and uh, go through and see how good a job they did of that or whether they just put the mat on and lost whatever happened to get lost. One thing I think we – another thing we – I think we could agree on is that – 
a lot of the time on this show we're talking about we really want the, the you know Sony and the estate to reach out and work with the original production teams and the original yeah. collaborators on these projects and it is a fact that they did uh, get John Landis on board to remaster this yeah. so I think we could all be pretty grateful for that now um, I want to cross over to Charles to hear a little bit about what you think I know you haven't seen the film but what are your thoughts on um, it being remastered and put out in a fashion where only sort of select fans get to see it so far? No, I've not seen it. As I said, I was not invited to the screening and I would not have gone if I was invited. In terms of the three, I really can't see what the point is of making it 3D, to be honest. Just what is the point? Who cares? I mean, is it? you know, my thoughts are, is it, even if they did a fantastic job of it, uh, which they may or may not have done. I don't know if they have. I could not take any enjoyment in it because of the context in which it's being released. Sadly, every time I hear that the estate is releasing anything, it just disgusts me, and I just think, oh, for fuck's sakes, let him rest in peace, please, you scum-sucking yeah. motherfucking Oh my God, fucking vultures! And I think um, I think I'm somewhere in the middle of you two. You know, like Paul, you're you're talking about this being a great thing for Michael's legacy. Charles, you're saying it probably shouldn't happen at all because we don't because of the context of the estate. I'm sort of in the middle, and sometimes I wonder whether my position's even valid at all. I I don't want to financially support them, but I hope they do a really good job because I think it's inevitable that they do something. Can I just clarify something, Charles? Like, are you yeah. so are you sort of saying that if they fired all the people and the the record company and the estate somehow became more, you know, from the original family members and whoever they employ, that's the right people? Yeah, that that's really what we're hoping happens. Like, that's your that's your gripe, right? That that these people are the wrong people, and we know how Michael felt about them, and they're the ones making the decisions and putting out the product. That's what you're against, correct? Uh, to an extent, yes. Wrong people, wrong label. Um, okay, so if they changed the all of time, that... Yeah, well, I, I was going to say, at the same time, some of the products still have been crap, and they would have yeah. been crap no matter who released, who released them. Although that okay. said, had it been different people, they probably would have been less crap. But, um, yeah, <laughs> what I'm saying is if it's released on Sony, number one, and it's if it's released by the current estate executors number two then i can't support it now issue number two might be mitigated or resolved if they were to make an appropriate apology and remove the casio tracks from market um, mm. if they were to say, if they were to take those tracks off of the market forever publicly apologize and apologize for some other things that they've done, then maybe I could get back on board with them, but still Sony would be an issue. But, you know, it's, yeah, so the, with the, with the context as it is, with those people being in charge based on things they did before Michael died and a litany of things that they've done after Michael died, I just can take no enjoyment in any mm. product which is lining their pockets, unfortunately. Yeah. I just can't. In the same way that I can't, you know, can't take pleasure in a, a beautiful shirt that's been made in a sweatshop full of yeah. starving children. Yeah, now that makes complete sense to me. I guess what I'm just trying to get my head around is 
is it's on one hand we're we're saying that that yes the estate etc the you know it's the wrong people and we don't support them but on the other hand we're saying the estate should be doing x y and z as in they should be releasing good products they should be remastering things they should be releasing these things so it's kind of hard to balance that it's like we want them yeah. to do things but we don't want <laughs> well, them to do it so it's yeah, like exactly. and well, when yeah, I'm, and when they I'm start doing that. things well, okay. So, when, but when they start doing things, we start going, "Oh, good! They're finally doing what we asked. They're remastering Thriller, or they're going to release it, and hopefully it'll come out on a Blu-ray or whatever." But then, at the same time, it's like, but it's the estate that's doing it. So, I'm just trying to get my head around what you want to happen. And it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you're saying you want basically the estate to apologize and hopefully resign, and then have somebody get the right people in so that we can actually be confident that these people have Michael's best interests at heart and we can sort of get involved and hope the right people are putting better products out. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, what I want to, with the context as it is right now, right, with the people in charge being who they are, with the label that's signed up being what it is, what I want to happen is nothing. You said earlier that something's better than nothing. To me, nothing is better than something under this <laughs> circumstance, right? I would rather they did nothing. Every time I hear that they're doing anything, it's like, firstly, oh, God, how are they going to fuck it up this time? And mm -hmm. secondly, even if they don't fuck it up, I can't buy it because they're crooks, um, mm -hmm. right? But in, in an ideal world, what would happen is the estate would be taken over by the family and they would mm -hmm. go and work with a different label. Under yeah. those circumstances, I could support the products, but I can't at the moment. I just can't under the current circumstances. And there's something that I was going to pick up on about the audio, which is that we've heard that the audio was um, fixed, that a, a new mix was sent from New York to Sydney in direct response to the fan criticism over what happened in London, mm. um, which actually in, in large part was, um, was led by the MJ cast. So well done. But um, mm. the maybe part, what, little, little part of the whole bigger thing, not definitely not the biggest. There was a lot of people reaching out to Martin Nessie. Um, Dan Vigilobos yeah. was there talking to him. Marco Belletta was talking to him. But I, I know what you're saying, Charles. We did, we yeah. did get the information out there. So you did. And, um, and I think. What it demonstrated was that action and protest can have results, right? Mm. That's what I take away from this. So there's a lot of fans who, and there are a lot of fans who I talk to who say, I hate the estate, I hate Sony, but they're the only ones that are going to be releasing anything. I mean, that's not a position I subscribe. In fact, I know one person who's like, I hate the estate, I hate Sony, but I'm going to try and get an invite to this party. And it's like, what are you talking about? Anyway, so, but, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> so, but if, if all the fans who hate the estate were to come together, I think what this incident proves is that we could have an impact. We yeah. could affect change. If only the fan base were to unite between behind a, a common good cause. Yeah, um, I think, I think the Casio tracks is a perfect example of that. I think if the fans weren't 
rallying and doing what they're doing, then maybe it would have just gone unnoticed. And yes, it hasn't been fully resolved yet, but I feel like it's on its way to being resolved because of that fan outcry and that sort of rallying to try and, and the court case, et cetera, to try and say, this has got to come to some kind of, you know. I wish that was true, but there has been outcry and it did nothing. It re- in my mind, it's really only down to Vera Sarova. Like if it, it wa- if it wasn't for Vera, slowly, nothing would have come about. Yeah, true, true, true. But I think just the general sort of outcry, the fact that it's all over the, the, the internet and the fan community, and I think that the people involved and Sony are very well aware of that, that it's not just this the one person, Vera, doing the court case. They're aware that this is a big deal and everyone involved in that is is making it as big as they can make it so that hopefully I'm sure I mean I'm quite confident that at some point in the future it's going to be common knowledge that that's what went down and that was the history of it and it took a long time to sort of make that a accepted proved you know that Sony you know or whoever the Casios or whatever had to actually concede and uh, it's it's definite that that's what happened but I don't think we're there yet but I think it's going to come I think so. Also, just wanted to make a point that I think with in relation to the Cassio tracks, the family did speak out as well as the fans. It's interesting with these latest projects this year, very, very little has been heard from anyone in the family. In fact, mm. there was the post uh, on Instagram from Paris Jackson in her Instagram story with video of her seeing a big billboard for the Scream album in, I imagine, Los Angeles or somewhere this billboard is, and her text is, why am I just now hearing about this? Mm. So the fam, even though earlier this year we had heard that the family were involved with some sort of consultation or something, Michael's daughter had no idea about this album coming out until after it came out. A beneficiary of the estate. Clearly, the estate and all the people involved know that the family is not going to support their decision, so they're clearly just leaving them out of the, the picture. Um, but I just want to throw in one more thing, it's, it's, which, you know, again, is in line with what Charles was saying about how we, you know, can make a difference, which kind of earlier I was saying maybe that's not the case. Sometimes I feel that way, I guess, is what I was saying, that me showing up or not showing up won't, you know, change. But if we all rally together Yes. And two examples of that, uh, you know, when the Escape album came out, they didn't put another three Casio tracks on and they put the original versions on. So the, the outcry and the response to that clearly did make a difference there, even though that whole product still may suck. You know, in some people's sort of opinion of it, it at least they did seem to listen to what was going on and didn't make the same mistakes they made a whole bunch of different ones <laughs> the the thing is with that though paul is even though they didn't put the casio tracks on the escape album they put them on the ultimate fan extras collection on itunes and in those two packages they're still currently for sale now so if they if- true but that was i guess that was just because they put the michael album on there and they hadn't really gone to the thought to sort of think well we'll put half the album or not the album at all because that still hadn't been fully investigated resolved whatever but but you know because whatever there was however many more casio tracks and i assumed that they were going to put out a posthumous album with a few more of those and a few more of these others and whatever but the fact that they realized okay let's steer clear of that because of the response 
and then with the fact that they put the the original demos on instead of just the remix versions the contemporizations i think that even was a positive though, step even though you could only get the originals if you bought the deluxe version of the album it wasn't on the standard issue that was probably not <laughs> the greatest move it should have been the standard issue had the originals and the demos aren't the latest versions either they didn't even consult the uh, original production yeah. teams on those demos they just got whatever they could find and put them well, out well <laughs> like like I said, nobody ever gets it right to my standards ever. Like I've, I find fault in just about everything, and that sometimes that's hard for me just to, to to exist in that kind of a state. It's you know people always say, oh, you're never satisfied with anything. It's like yeah, fair enough. But when someone gets it right, and there have been occasions where people do get it right, you know, the Thriller album was right. You know, when people get it right you just feel like, yes, this is great. So more often than not, I've just kind of accepted that uh, otherwise I'm going to beat my head against a brick wall for my whole life just going, nothing ever meets my expectations. And that's kind of frustrating as well. So I just kind of hope for the best and do what I can, but assume that, yeah, of course they're going to screw this up or they're not going to do it the way I would have done it or I wish it could have been better. But, you know, I guess that's the debate. You know, is something better than nothing or or is nothing better than like i think michael would probably say you know nothing it's all got to be perfect or it's got to be correct or you know or it shouldn't come out so i guess you know you're probably correct there charles and what what you're saying you know maybe nothing's better well, than something it's, it's, but a it's lot of not, fans take what they can get you know it's not about whether it meets my expectations right i don't hold them to my standard i hold them to michael's standard that's yeah. what I always say, right? I hold them to Michael's standard. Michael did not want to work with Sony. Michael mm. did not want to work with John Branker. Michael stated publicly he was opposed to, to third parties interfering with his music. So, mm. you know, that's, that is the standard that I hold them to always. It's not whether I think they should be doing something. Michael's gone now. So mm. I look to what he told us and then I hold them to his standard. Mm. But I always think, want to be clear about that. Do you think Michael's opposition to Sony was more uh, to do with the people who were in charge of Sony? Like, for example, if those in Mike, if Michael was around and the bad eggs left Sony or got booted out of Sony, do you think he would have at some point potentially gone with Sony again if it was a new version of Sony? Because the company's really only the people that make it up. So do you think he was against the company or do you think he was against the people and if those personnel changed, you know what I mean? Like that's what I'm saying. Against, like in well, 20 years' time when uh, all those people are gone, are we still against Sony or are we against the people uh, that were there? It's, it's a hypothetical, but what we know is that he died not wanting to work with them ever again. That's yeah. what we know. We know that literally hours or days before his death, he wrote down a career map and he specifically wrote down that whatever he released next, he wanted to come out on Universal or Warner. We also mm. know that in the months before he died, uh, somebody bought him a pair of Sony headphones and he smashed them up because he was so angry. So, yeah. you know, he, I'm going by what he would have wanted. His, his wishes at the time of his death are known. And to mm. me, the artist's wishes should be obeyed. You can't start asking questions about, well, what if flying saucers landed and said, we're going to blow you up if you don't go on Sony or whatever. <laughs> you know, you've just got to look at what he, what did he leave behind? This is True. what he wanted. This is what we've got to adhere to, in my opinion. I, 
Yeah, I think he was at the time, though. I think he was so against Sony right in that that moment. I'm just curious, and again, it's hypothetical. What would have happened in another ten, twenty years? You know, would things have changed? Would he have, you know, changed his mind about things? Because he did often change his mind about things. So yeah, I mean, that's all I'm saying is I don't. I think at the time he was angry with Sony, but I more think of it he was angry with the people who were involved. So. To me, it stands to reason that if those people were no longer involved, the company itself could be taken over by better people and the word Sony wouldn't necessarily be as evil as it was when he was upset with that incarnation of it at that moment in time. So I'm just... It was seven years. It was seven years that he was pissed off with them. And Matola was long gone by the time uh, Michael died. Yeah. And he still was was in opposition to Sony, so yeah. uh, you know, to me, this was not a whim. Can I ask one question before Q wraps up? Because we're going to wrap this up really shortly. I got one question. A lot of fans say, "Well, if Michael really hated Sony that much, why did one year before he died he released another album with them, being a Thriller twenty five reissue?" And they use people use that as an example and say, well, he couldn't have hated him that much because he did Thriller Twenty Five with them. So what? A- <laughs> that, that was yeah, a contractual he, was, thing, um, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah to fulfil could, that. He was in desperate financial trouble. Okay, the fans all, you know, there's a lot of fans who go, no, he wasn't right, but he was. He was des- He was asset rich and cash poor, right? And about a year earlier, he had literally come within about twenty four hours of losing Neverland because his finances were so bad. He really needed money. He had to refinance the loan again. This was all under Raymond Bain's management. And um, he basically, he needed cash, and the only way he could make money from the Thriller anniversary, short of embarking on a Thriller tour, which he clearly didn't want to do, uh, was to work with Sony. If he wanted to cash in on that anniversary, he had to work with Sony. But what he did do was when he participated in the project, as soon as he got paid, he just fucked off, right? He pulled out of all of the promotion. He was supposed to appear on the X Factor in the UK. He pulled out. He was supposed to appear at the Grammys, and he pulled out literally with about 24 hours' notice. And the Grammys were so pissed off with him. So what they'd been doing, they were, they were going to have an all-star salute to the King of Pop. That was what they were calling it. And they actually advertised it on TV the day before the ceremony. They said, and, and featuring an all-star salute to the King of Pop. And then what was supposed to happen was then Michael would pop up and do a performance. And he even went into rehearsals. But then he just went, actually, fuck it, I'm not going. So he just didn't show up. The Grammys, the Grammys were so pissed off with him that they pulled the tribute, uh, which meant all the artists were cheesed off because they were supposed to be performing at the Grammys and then they lost their performance because Michael buggered off and um, then the Grammys put about a story that they'd kicked him out not vice versa and that um, they'd refused to invite him because he demanded that they make up an award for him if he attended and when he went to the Grammys he was also supposed to be interviewed at the Grammys for the Thriller cast I don't know if you remember the Thriller cast uh, but it was a series of podcasts that they put out to mark the release of Thriller 25, with Michael conspicuously absent. He was supposed to be on the Thriller cast, 
and uh, then he didn't show up for the Grammys. They had some quite well-known artist who was supposed to conduct the interview. I think it was somebody from Run DMC or something. But um, he just buggered off. Uh, he didn't do the X Factor as he was supposed to. There was something else he was supposed to do that he didn't show up for. Anyway, so he basically he got paid and then legged it. Um, <laughs> and Sony were really cheesed off with him. Um, and uh, I know all this firsthand because we were at the time I was involved with the fan site and we were liaising with Sony directly and we were in the loop about what he was supposed to be doing and so on and we had we had it all direct from them at the time the whole inside story so yeah he he if he wanted to cash in on Thriller 25 he had no choice but to work with Sony and as soon as he got paid he did a runner Right, so what you're saying is that that's not really evidence that he wanted a continuing relationship with Sony. No, no, no. I mean, I think it's after that that in the Bodyguards book he smashes up the headphones. I think it's long mm. after that, um, probably about a year later, something like that. That's not to say every single person working at Sony is a bad guy. I know uh, we know for a fact that there is definitely someone quite high up in management of Sony in Australia that actually worked to prevent the Casio tracks coming out, I believe. Maybe not mm. in the majority, but we just don't want to paint every single person with the same brush. Yeah, just sorry so, to just jump in one last time, but to me, being a practitioner of you know film and editing and whatever, I think of the people involved. So, for example, if they did decide to remaster all Michael's short films, you know, and Ghosts and Captain Neo, etc., I'm thinking of the people who are sitting there, you know, working on that, restoring that. Put the practitioners putting all of that time and effort, and they're working and doing the best they can to get the best quality image out and to really make a good product. They it's unfortunate, though, that that product is then going to be managed and, you know, put out by Sony and the estate. And, you know, that to me, I'm so I'm just trying to think, look, there are people out there doing the best they can. And if it just happens that the only way that's going to get released is by the by Sony, to me, it's like, but that's I still want that product to come out and I still want to experience that product because it's just unfortunate that that's the, the, the landscape at the moment, that that's the umbrella it comes out under. But there are people who are good people working really hard and hopefully will be in the future to do good things. And I wish that, you know, the estate could sort of have a, have a complete change of personnel and they could get the right people in there and fix all of those problems. But if it doesn't happen, I just think well i don't want to i don't want all of these products if they're good products to not happen or to fail because of all of that stuff so yeah i wish that we could somehow rally together and get them to make the right decisions and get them to do the right things so we'll just hope and see but that's that's um something i hope does happen in the future i'm not saying that uh, everybody who works on these products is the enemy, right? They are victims of circumstance. They're employees, and they're doing the job that they've been asked to do. But the fact is they're working for a label that Michael did not want to work with anymore. That's unfortunate for them, but yeah. I'm not prepared to sell Michael down the river because poor Joe blogs at the editing desk you know, has worked really hard. I'm sure he has worked really hard and good luck to him. And I hope he got, I hope he got paid well for his work, but 
is work that he shouldn't have been doing because Michael should not have been signed back up to that label in death because he was clear that he didn't want to be. Well, let's hope that we can change that in the future then, because if we can change the, the, the state of the estate and the personnel, then I think every fan is for that. Get the family involved, get some good industry level fans involved, get the right people involved, get the bad people out. If we can turn that all around, I, and I'm sure everyone is for that, and if we, you know, tell me where to sign up and I'll sign that petition or do what we have to do. Because that would be awesome if we could get things done right by the right people. Yeah, because it's just so frustrating that they're not doing what they should be doing and that we're not getting what we're getting and all of this problematic controversy is dragging it all down and that's not what Michael would have wanted. So yeah. let's uh, let's see what we can do, I guess. I sure wouldn't want to be on the uh, estate myself because – if something good comes out, fans are still not happy. If something terrible comes out, fans are justifiably not happy. I do think it's a good thing that there have been people that worked very hard on getting Thriller converted and remastered and put out for um, hopefully a future cinema release and then hopefully a future home release. I think that's an amazing, especially that they got the original director to work on this for many, many years. I think that's a great thing. So in closing, guys, thank you so much for this amazing discussion and I hope that people have uh, enjoyed hearing our opinions, maybe learning some facts about the, the film itself and different things that we've talked about. Just want to wrap up by saying being critical of a product, especially one we're asked to pay our hard-earned money for and a product meant to represent uh, someone who works tirelessly for high quality is perfectly valid and should be encouraged. Being critical is not hating on something and it can be done respectfully. So being critical is showing where poor decisions have been made, not from hate, but from the right we have as consumers and customers to demand the best product for our dollars. When Michael and Quincy listened back to their first mix of the Thriller album and in their ears it was terrible, they didn't just release it, they didn't just rush it out, they went back and they worked harder to get it right. Michael's products deserve the quality standards that he set. They should not be rushed and more than lazy efforts should be put in. Halfway there is not good enough. Michael didn't strive for second best, so why should his fans settle for middle of the road? Demanding better is not hating, and especially these days when our entitled selves aren't demanding it from Michael, but we are demanding better for Michael. I just want to say a special thank you to Lachlan, Bradbury, Lachlan Bradley, Rick Dayton, Ross Henderson, Daniel at MLVD, Dan Vigilobos, Marnie, Paul Black and Charles. Thank you all for all contributing to the um, information and this discussion on this episode of the MJ Cast. No worries. No problem. It's hard to believe that 25 years ago, Quincy Jones and I embarked on an album named Thriller. To be able to say that Thriller still holds the record 
as the biggest selling album of all time is just mind blowing. I have you, my fans, throughout the world to thank for this achievement. There is still much more to come from Michael Jackson. My passion for music has never stopped. And for those who don't know, I've been in the studio recording Thriller 25th Anniversary album with a lot of surprise guests. It's my hope that Thriller continues to live on for each new generation to discover. And thank you, the fans. I love you from the bottom of my heart. And I hope to see you very soon. I love you. God bless. Michael Jackson's Thriller 25. All the hits and a bonus DVD of the groundbreaking videos. Plus bonus tracks featuring Michael with Kanye West, Akon, Fergie and Will I Am. The biggest album of all time just got bigger. Thriller 25 out now. Hi, I'm Vincent Patterson. Please come and join us on the MJ cast. We'd love to have you with us. Okay, time for Finds of the Week. Mine is an article by Anne-Marie Latour. Uh, really excellent article, which really, I guess, encapsulates everything I feel, uh, and I think you as well, Q, about Scream and really how the estate needs to sort of raise the bar in the products they're putting out. It echoes a lot of our own thoughts we've included on this show. I'm not going to go into detail about specifically what Anne-Marie has written in there, I'll read it out for you from the start right now, Jamin. How's that? Let, let's do it, the whole thing. No, I'm, <laughs> really? I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, it is a terrific, terrific article, and it's going to be in the show notes. I really wish we had time that we could read it because it echoes so much of not only what we say on the show in discussion with each other, but definitely what the fans are feeling out there. I think it is such a spot on article. Thank you for including this as your find of the week. No, that's okay. I I think it just really is something we all need to read right now. Um, Whether you financially want to support Sony and the estate or not, um, I think one middle common ground every single fan can agree on is that they need to be doing a better job. So excellent work, Anne-Marie, and we look forward to more articles coming from you. Oh, I would hope so. But please, you must, listeners, go to the show notes and read this article. You have to read it. It's so good. It's probably one of the best written pieces of the last few years, I would have to say. Yeah, I'd agree completely. Mine is a, uh, a little bit different. It's uh, We spoke earlier in the episode about the Moonwalker game on Sega Genesis where there was the, the track – Uh, on that sort of rare version of the game. Mine's actually a video which is by Angry Video Game Nerd, episode 63. It's on YouTube and it's sort of like a review of the game and it's gameplay, I guess. Yeah. Because apparently there's some frustrating aspects of it. (laughs) This guy's on crack. I love Moonwalker. He's, it's hilarious. Um, so, but yeah, yeah it's, it's good. really funny to watch. And he does this really funny black or white pant, not panther. Oh, yes. Yeah, so panther desk sort of kind of thing at the end of the, the little video review of it. It's just really funny. Yeah. So that, that was my find of the week. It was just a really funny video that I came across in relation to the Moonwalker video game. Good find. Thanks.
Hey, this is Brad Sundberg, studio engineer and technical director for Michael Jackson and host of In the Studio with MJ. You're listening to the MJ cast. Time for us to give some thank yous. Applehead Lover over on Tumblr, one of the very few listeners we have there as we are currently still running our Tumblr. And can I come down there on Instagram? Thanks for always being so engaged with our posts. Oh, I wanted to quickly drop in before I forget, Carly and friends who are traveling in the US at the moment. I know they went to Disneyland yesterday well, before our recording and they're going to see Michael Starr on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Carly, I know when you're catching up on this, I hope you had a great trip and I look forward to hearing all about it via social media. And I know that you're going to go and see the one show in Vegas as well that I'm very excited for you want to give a shout out as well to sarah wheatley uh, we have a new follower on twitter this is a young queensland mj fan so saying hi to sarah i'm from brisbane myself and it's awesome that you're listening to our show uh, just to all people on facebook you guys are killing it over there on our posts interacting debating discussing things that are being announced Great job. Keep interacting. I'm loving seeing you guys talk about what we are discussing as news. Uh, special thank you to Cody Covington and Elise Capron as well for your transcriptions for our special episodes. And Georgie Girl at Leprechaun Jack 7, another Brisbane listener. Shout out to you. Jay Leggett at the Michael Jackson Archives for posting the cover of Grover Washington Jr.'s I Can't Help It. It was gorgeous. Stephen Hodges, always over at MJFFC, MJ Fans for Charity, over on Twitter at MJFFC. Shout out to you, Stephen. Want to give a shout out to Nigel Williams at Nigel Williams 7, Asmat Mahmood at Azmat Mahmood 98 Dullboy at Dullard101, and Bruce Aguilla, Yensid98, and lastly, Tom Rowderman at Lightly Crunchy. All on Twitter. Boys, we've been getting into some hectic debates over the past couple of weeks. I've been loving it. It's been lots of fun. Even though things might get a bit heated and we might disagree sometimes, I love you fellas. Thanks for participating. And also at WrestleMarty, thank you for letting us know that there was an error and you were blocked by mistake. I'm not sure how that happened, but my apologies, but I'm super, super glad that you are now able to communicate and that you are still listening to the show. So shout out to you, Marty. And anyone that sent emails, like, thank you. Just anyone. <laughs> There's always like a lot to try and keep on top of. So thank you very much. Do you want me to tell people where they can find us across the Trons? Yeah. All right, programs, you can find us across Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, the Google Play Place for Android things, Podbean and YouTube. And for social media, you will find us at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr as the MJ Cast. Uh, our main hub where you can find all of the show notes, all of the links for things that we've spoken about during the show and related links as well show notes are available at the mjcast.com as well as in your podcast app which you are listening to on your device and email us with the email the mjcast at icloud.com well we're going to keep everybody up to date over the next couple of months as these products come out the halloween cartoon thing is going to happen 
Thriller 3D hopefully will screen somewhere maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll, Fingers we'll crossed. See. Make sure you stay tuned into the MJ cast to hear the news all about these products coming out this year. Played some great music on this episode, guys. Uh, the first song that we played was Toto Parati. It is the Spanish version of Michael Jackson's What More Can I Give? Just another quick reminder to you guys, there's been some tragedy hit South America, especially in Mexico and Puerto Rico. Um, we've got two links at the top of our show notes to youcaring.com. Really think about going there, donating five bucks or whatever you can. Uh, get some help, some practical assistance to people on the ground in doing the recovery efforts. Uh, the second song we played was a Janet Jackson mashup by Jay Ray. Uh, it was a mix of my favorite song from the Unbreakable album, Night, mixed in with Damn Baby. Then we also played the Single White Glove Extended Thriller Mix. I know that a lot of you out there love the SWG mixes, so happy to play that in relation to our discussion topics today. And then the beautiful cover of I Can't Help It by Grover Washington Jr., which Jay Leggett over the MJ Archives posted and we picked up on because it was well worth sharing and listening. Hope you enjoyed. Well, Jamin, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. I've got to go off and be a dad, do heaps of school marking. Oh, you still have to do that in holidays? Yeah, unfortunately. Oh, teachers are always working, guys. They teachers do. are working even in their holidays. Oh, my God. Hats off to all teachers out there. <laughs> Thanks, Far man. out. No, I appreciate it. Cool. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. I'm glad we had some good news amongst the other news today. I'm probably most excited about the National Portrait Gallery exhibition next year in London. There was That was my highlight to report on today, as well as the Paris Jackson ambassador role for the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation. So I was happy that we did have some amazing news amongst all the other discussion today. We appreciate you guys listening to us talk about it and sharing our personal opinions as we see all of your opinions across social media. I'm going to sign off. Shout out to everyone for listening. Really appreciate it. Share the show. And if you're going to be live tweeting, it will be hashtag the MJCastEp66. I'll be reading your tweets. Thanks, everyone. Michael on. Keep Michaeling. And we're done. Thanks, Q, for Yay. agreeing to do it again. Do you agree it's better? That's okay. Of course it is. Of course it is. There's a lot of public talk about it coming out next year now. Even Liam just messaged us saying he asked Sony and they said next year. There's um, mm. oh, who the fuck was it um, on Twitter? Remember all that stuff told us that he heard from Sony, but we're not allowed to discuss it? Yeah. Yesterday. Well, there was someone that 
has got all that same, pretty much all of that same information and we're tweeting it out yesterday. But like what the reports were that next year they're going to be screening it with some other horror film release, like what they did with Ghosts when it was at the cinema with uh, Stephen King's Thinner film, not Thriller, Thinner. Thinner. Um, well, that's what we were saying since the start that they, I mean, I, I know, actually you weren't saying it. You were saying they should put Ghosts and Thriller together and put it in the cinema. And I was like, if they're not going to do that, they should just tack Thriller onto a big um, Halloween movie. So if they do that, that's, that's a good idea. Yep. Would it come out next Halloween? Is that what you're suggesting? Uh, well, that would be the most... I wouldn't want it at Easter. I would... Yeah. So, there's someone that was saying all of those things because uh, they were at the Comic-Con thing, which we didn't talk about at all. Blood on the Dance Floor remix video coming soon, directed by Jamie King. This Scream album definitely is not the soundtrack for this cartoon because there were other songs included like childhood people that worked on the film worked on the black or white morphing effects and ghost Mm. special effects history tour in hd ghosts in 3d so that was for the future history tour that's a bad choice well listen there's a lot of fans for the history tour um i think that's also a generation thing a lot of people sort of came in around that time and I think it's also a quality thing. The quality of the footage uh, will make something maybe seem better than what it is because the history tour was in not VHS sort of era. It was, you know, broadcast in better quality. It was filmed in better quality for news. Like you, you go back and look at what news stories covered the bad tour the dangerous tour and then compare it to the history tour and the quality's a lot better. So I think that might have something to do with it. Um, I think they should bring the history tour out at some point in the future, but I just don't think it should be on their list of things to do soon. I think they've they've already done it. I think it's already done. Oh, it's done. I I know someone who's watched it in 3D or at least one song from it. Yeah, one or two songs from it in 3D. That was the original plan was to release it in 3D. And they had... Not may I don't know if they did the whole thing, but they d- certainly converted a few tracks of the show. I think yeah. if they've got it, like we've just said it before, like we want things in quite high quality and we want them to release it. So yes, here's something in. We can't just say, okay, well we want that. Oh, here it is. Here's what you wanted. Oh no, well we didn't. We don't want it now. So that's a good point. Let let them bring the history tour out, and the critics can sort of pan the lip syncing, but still bring yeah, it out. Do that, but saying. like that's yeah. not an exclusion to going back and then giving us victory and destiny and triumph and those tours as well. We're not saying, well, history's out; they don't need to do any more. They can go back and still do those. We saw the footage in the off the wall documentary. Yeah, good. So, point. if if they've already done it. Why just let it sit in the vault if it's already ready to go? Get it out and then they can go and work on the next thing. Hopefully, be, be even better. The same as this. Like they've just converted, you know, remastered the thriller film for cinema screen and, and HD viewing as its best possible quality as well as the documentary. This is precisely what we wanted. I'm grateful for that. 
because they could have not they could have not done that at all. They could have just pushed it out in completely wrong ratio again, you know, leaving mistakes and and doing you know fucked audio and getting getting you know Pitbull to do the song and getting Pitbull to remaster the film and insert things in it. They didn't do any of that. They got the original director. This is exactly what fans have wanted. So I'm grateful for that. Regardless if, you know, the whole history and the politics and stuff. like, You know who's been doing a really good job lately? Um, Janet? JD. Oh, JD. Yes. So I watched. Yeah, you know the, his history in the Mix YouTube channel? Did you watch his Scream yes. Um, yes. His video? It was good. His, his review, which was in contrast to his excitement when it came out. And that's a lot of fans are out there feeling that. And I think yeah. that's why your Find of the Week article was really good as well because yeah. Yeah. it echoes fans. You know, they need to listen to fans. They need to listen to what the consumers want. But that is also not to ignore the market and fans are getting older and they do move on. They continually need to create new fans and that can yeah. be young people and children. So that is a whole other market that they can't just ignore and they can't just cater for uh, like hardcore dangerous 25 foaming at the mouth fans. They can't just cater for them. Dangerous 25 is not fucking going to happen. It's been and gone unless they release it two years late. It's not going to happen. If you want it campaign for dangerous 30 people, but move on. Okay. It's not going to happen. We've missed it. The boat sailed, but this CBS thing, whatever the, storyline of it whatever the quality of it for little kids like hopefully it's going to be good enough that i can show my nephews because they're probably a little bit young for me to show them the thriller film but i can show them this cartoon and it will have the thriller song in it and then when they're older you know they'll be like oh this is what it's based on that's amazing you know when they're old enough to see that so people there's different markets we're not always the target market here we, I think we can discuss that a little bit more when we, we've seen it in our next show. Yes. Every time I see um, an official tweet from the Michael Jackson account, I'm like, what have they done? What are they saying? <laughs> there is a new T-shirt and sweatshirt featuring glow-in-the-dark Scream album art available for a limited time. I actually thought it was kind of cool how they tweeted a Jackson's picture for once. Yes. They didn't tag them, though, which pissed me off. I replied to them and said that. I was like, they're a thing, you know, <laughs> the Jacksons. Don't be afraid to at them. Yeah, you pay some of them. Did you see the latest tweet and Facebook post? Was it about doing dishes? They've cropped a picture of Michael with Paul McCartney washing dishes. It was like a promo photo for uh, The Girl Is Mine or something, or something around that era. They've zoomed right in on just Michael washing the dishes and their post says, next time your kid complains about helping around the house, tell them if Michael did the dishes, so can they. Yeah, like, but that's ex in your article that you shared as your find of the week, that is precisely what she means when they are not even handling their social media well because they're not. Mm. That is just like, that's got to yeah, be the that's a, that's a good thing. You can show that to you. And <laughs> you, we've got listeners out there, great listeners with kids. Yeah, like do the dishes. Michael did the dishes. That's not to say that that is something their parents could not do. You can show your beautiful <laughs> daughter that when she's old enough to help. Look, 
Michael did dishes. You can help mummy and me do the dishes as well. But really, that's not what this. It's so odd. And they shouldn't (laughs) be. They should balance their social media with that and other things. Like where's some humanitarian posts? You know, hello. Links to charities. Yeah. Where's where's like an acapella from a song and chat about this? Yeah. Let's, hey, guys, let's discuss, you know, the political relevance of they don't care about us in, in this political climate that Michael, you know, was on the forethought of, you know, campaigning for people's rights and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. They need to balance it. You, you can balance it, I think. Let's raise the intellectual uh, level of social media posts. That's what I think. Seriously, because like it is, social media is great for so many things, but we don't have to continue this dumbing down of the world because it's, look what happened in America. They dumbed down America so much with like, you know, education and entertainment and just dumbing stuff down like and I always for me I can really draw so many parallels with um Disney parks Mm. like Epcot Center was such a progressive and unique idea when it opened in 80 I think was 82 uh October 82 and they've dumbed that park down and they're continuing to do so so, like, you know, there goes the Norway pavilion about the culture of Norway. Let's now change it into a frozen ride and set it in Arendelle or whatever it is, which is not even a real place. You know, let's get rid of Sea Base Alpha in the living with the uh, – sorry, the Seas pavilion and turn it into a Nemo ride but lose all the educational aspects. Oh, let's close the Universe of Energy pavilion where, yes, they could have just updated all of the technology about energy and uh, renewable energies, put a lot more focus on that, get Tesla as a sponsor or something like that to to update the pavilion. But now we're going to just put Guardians of the Galaxy in there. This is like a continuing thing, the dumbing down of entertainment and education, and it has effects, huge effects. Look at Brexit, look at Trump, like, you know – if people were more not dumbed down, if they were educated, things like this wouldn't happen. The MJ Cast.